I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Failed Critic Podcast, back after a hiatus of sorts, although you have had a Glasgow Film Festival special in that time. I'm your host, Steve Norton. I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. Uh, Owen Hughes. Hello. And Jerry McCauley. Hello. And so, before we get going, James, do you want to tell everyone about the Glasgow Film Festival, um, what, what you did, what it was like? What happened? Yeah, um, very, very quickly, because uh, hopefully uh, a lot of the people listening to this have already uh, heard the, the special podcast that I, I cobbled together with my own bare hands uh, without the help of anyone, <laughs> and hopefully it doesn't sound too terrible. Uh, it's really nice to be back here just being able to spout nonsense and leave Steve to worry with uh, making sure it all sounds good. Um, but Glasgow Film Festival finished just over a week ago now, Brilliant festival, great fun up there, saw a load of films, um, some really good films that hopefully people will see later on this year. Uh, my particular favourites were Cloud Atlas, uh, A Hijacking and The Thieves, uh, they, were, they were my three three favourites. All reviews uh, and my diary of the festival is up at failedcritics.com. Um, but yeah, it was quite nice, got to meet up with a few other bloggers as well, which was good, got to meet up with... Dave McFarlane from Born Offside.net, which was scary. Um, and, uh, and I just want to say thank you once more to Brewdog Glasgow for, for feeding us and giving us drink, uh, to make sure that we were all happily lubricated while we were recording up there. So it was really good fun. It's definitely a film festival I'd recommend to, for people to visit in the future. Hmm. Would you say happily lubricated is one of your favorite feelings? Uh, definitely, especially when I'm out on the piss with Dave McFarlane. Yeah. There we go. Um, so, on to the, the quiz that's changed from quotes to film music. It's 1-0, because we've only done one round. I can't remember who two, though. It's not Owen. Hey, I'll bet Jerry won it off. Yeah. Of course he did. Sorry. It, it was it, some 41. It was, yes. Yeah. I actually knew that. It's youngster music that I knew. Here, here is um, this week's entry. Welcome to the Failed Critic Podcast, back after a 
hiatus of sorts, although you have had a Glasgow Film Festival special in that time. I'm your host, Steve Norton. I'm joined by James Diamond. Hello. Uh, Owen Hughes. Hello. And Jerry McCauley. Hello. And so, before we get going, James, do you want to tell everyone about the Glasgow Film Festival, um, what what you did, what it was like, what happened? Yeah, um, very, very quickly, because uh, hopefully uh, a lot of the people listening to this have already uh, heard the, the special podcast that I, I cobbled together with my own bare hands uh, without the help of anyone. <laughs> And hopefully it doesn't sound too terrible. Uh, it's really nice to be back here, just being able to spout nonsense and leave Steve to worry with uh, making sure it all sounds good. Um, but Glasgow Film Festival finished just over a week ago now. Brilliant festival, great fun up there. Saw a load of films, um, some really good films that hopefully people will see later on this year. Uh, my particular favourites were Cloud Atlas, uh, a hijacking and the thieves. Uh, they were they were my three three favourites. All oh, reviews uh, and my diary of the festival is up at failedcritics.com. Um, but yeah, it was quite nice. Got to meet up with a few other bloggers as well, which was good. Got to meet up with Dave McFarlane from BornOffside.net, which was scary. Um, and uh, and I just want to say thank you once more to Brewdog Glasgow for for feeding us and giving us drink uh, to make sure that we were all happily lubricated while we were recording up there. So it was really good fun. It's definitely a film festival I'd recommend to, for people to visit in the future. Hmm. Would you say happily lubricated is one of your favourite feelings? Uh, definitely, mm-hmm. especially when I'm out on the piss with Dave McFarlane. Yeah. There we go. Um, so... On to the, the quiz that's changed from quotes to film music. It's 1-0, because we've only done one round. I can't remember who to, though. It's not Owen. Hey, I'll it? bet Jerry won it off. Yeah. Of course he did. Sorry. It, it was some 41. It was, it. yes. Yeah. I actually knew that. It's youngster music that I knew. Here, I here is um, this week's entry. Jerry. Oh, shit. I knew that one. I know this one as well. Yeah. Yes, Jerry. Anchorman. And what was the name of the song? Afternoon Delight. There we go. Well done, Jerry. 2-0 to you. Aren't you brilliant? It's just too quick. He is. Yes. Well, he that, is. I fucking love that song from that <laughs> film. If, if you have the DVD of Anchorman, there is an excellent extra where they do like a full video of the full-length version of the song. And it has an excellent introduction with Ron Burgundy eating um, his breakfast in a jacuzzi. While drinking scotch. Nice. Classic. It's also used to great effect in one of my favourite episodes of Arrested Development, an episode actually called Afternoon Delight as well. So it's a great song. The song is about daytime lovemaking. (laughs) (laughs) Not Uh, Have we got uh, any movie news, James? Well, basically, because uh, we switch things around and things like that we haven't had a what i want to do is have a quick chat about the oscars and then we'll talk about our oscars um petition our prediction competition that we had Um, we'll come on to that in a second and first off oscars a bit predictable i thought um despite the fact that i failed to predict most of them um but very predictable it was yes i would think (laughs) very predictable uh, spoiler alert um Owen, Owen, uh, Owen, Owen has watched. I'll go one best film. The, the the thing is though, Owen has watched every single film in existence, and has yeah. now worked out an algorithm to predict the Oscars. Yes, 
Yes, Owen's like Johnny Five in Short Circuit now. He just he just <laughs> he can fast uh, forward them on sort of time sixty four speed and ingest them yeah. all in that amount of time. That's right. Um, but yeah, I, th- I thought it was. I thought it was a, a as an awards ceremony. Uh, the pe- the films and the performance. I think the performances were pretty much deserved. Um, I, I probably still have had Emmanuel Reaver uh, rather than Jennifer Lawrence, uh, and but it doesn't surprise me that Hollywood wasn't very. Um, what's the word, kind of uh, sentimental over that whole award because Hollywood's not a very sentimental place. But overall, I think the right people pretty much won the right awards. I don't know what anyone else thought. And I'm still a little bit sleep-deprived from staying up to watch the damn thing as well. It's your own fault. I know, I know. Um, But yeah, so I think... But the one thing that has kind of come out in the last week um, and I just want to see what other people thought. We've had some people on Twitter uh, talk about what they said um, was regarding Seth MacFarlane's hosting of it because um, we had a bit of a conversation earlier today and I, I think Owen was a little bit concerned we we're just going to be righteous indignation of the Daily Mail type thing on it um, I saw the boob song I just didn't think it was very funny I was, I, pretty much in fact what I'd say is Seth MacFarlane's job of hosting the Oscars entertained me as much as Ted entertained me um, which isn't really a surprise. but I Just to interject there, because I yeah. know this is going to sound completely out of place and it kind of is yeah. on a, a little tangent. I read yeah. an interview with Richard Herring today, the comedian, yeah. about what his favourite film is. Yeah. He picked, he says he didn't know, it was either Ted or Expendables 2. Richard Herring said... You say Ted. pissed though, right? He's got to have been. It didn't sound like it. He was giving like, quite justifiable reasons for picking it. It was just a bit odd. Ah, uh, he must have been winding up. He's got to wind up, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the Guardian wasn't winding up when they named it their second favourite film of last year. That I still cannot get over. Yeah, um, snob. <laughs> yes, I know, I'm such a film snob. Um, yeah, yeah, okay, the boob song, Ben and Dot, you know, I, I didn't think it was, I don't think it deserved the righteous indignation of the masses the way that did. And the thing is, what annoyed me actually is the boob song became what everyone. Uh, kind of associated with Seth MacFarlane's edgy, stroke, controversial hope. There was like, people were like, oh, we only sang about boobs. And people go, oh, God, he sang about boobs. It's like, actually, there was loads more that was a lot worse than that song. I didn't think that song was in great taste. I, and I also didn't think it was very funny. Um, but I was more concerned, especially towards the end, and I tweeted this as it happened. So my righteous indignation was not caused by media fury or anything like that. When um, uh, Sam came out to present an award before he introduced her. He said, now's the point uh, in the ceremony when one of Penelope Cruz, Javier Bardem or Salma Hayek will come out and you won't understand a word they're saying, but you won't care because they look so pretty. Basically, a lot. and I just thought, that that's not edgy. That's just, oh, don't Mexicans talk funny. It, was just, it just seems... It's basically like Jim Davidson or Rachel the Crowd. That's what annoyed me about this was, it was... Nine, it was like going back to 1960s, 1970s. His, um, his take on Zero Dark Thirty being about a woman's innate, um, inability to get over things or forget it. Yeah. And it was like to let something go. That was it. I was like, that's a take my wife, please. The thing that, and, um, when Ted came out to the cartoon, Ted came out to present award, he went on for about two minutes about how Hollywood was run by Jewish people. And it's, 
None of this is clever. Have None you not, of this was funny. Have you not seen <laughs> Family Guy? Yeah, and, and but this is about, to me, it's about context. Family Guy is people tune into Family Guy knowing what to expect. Okay, it's in a context. It's about, you know, and so if you tune into Family Guy, you are choosing to watch some humour which you know is going to be like that. He's hosting the Oscars. Now, one thing that someone, someone um, tweeted in earlier and said, what do you expect? That's what Seth MacFarlane does. Okay, which is a defence of sorts. But my, my point is, yeah, what Seth MacFarlane does um, is actually quite old-fashioned, not very funny, and a bit racist and a bit sexist. Um, and Seth MacFarlane, it, they said that's what he does. It's not like, it's not like a dog uh, attacking someone. Yeah, he's, he's not... He's not. A cre- he's got his own. He can censor himself. He's got his. He chooses to be like that. He's, it's not a state of being. It's not like Seth MacFarlane was just created and he goes round defending. He chooses to do that. So that, I don't think that defence counts. I just thought it was a really uncomfortable award ceremony. I, I really. I watched it, just cringing the entire time. And he made Ricky Gervais look like Stephen Fry, in my opinion, and <laughs> was not good. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I kind of agree with the, the, the person on Twitter who said that um, that's what you book him for, you know? Yeah. That's what he's known for. He... Oh. Yeah, I mean, the thing is, Family Guy, you know what you're getting with Seth MacFarlane in a way because of Family Guy, but Family Guy actually has some wit and the observations have sort of wittiness as well you, as used to. offensive. Used to. I think Family mm. Guy is kind of, you know, shorter space of time going the way of The Simpsons where... It was good. It did have a peak where it was kind of offensive, but it was witty as well, and it had a point to it. But now it just seems to be, you know, pretty average, terrible, with just trying to be kind of offensive for the sake of being offensive, like... Just shock his... value. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I can't yeah, say I've watched any of the last sort of few seasons, to be honest with you. But, but, but I, I, I agree with you. There was just no humour or wit involved in this. It wasn't comedy. It was just a bitter old man ranting about all mm. different friends. I didn't get some of it either, because there was at one point where he basically accused Jennifer Aniston of being a former stripper. Uh, just out of nowhere. Uh, it, it, she came on with Channing Tatum, and he said, um, next two people, one of whom is honest about their former past as a, an exotic dancer. And it was like, she looked totally disgusting. The worst one, though... Um, was when he accused um, oh, Wallace, I can't remember her first name now, I'm not even going to try and say it uh, because I can't see it anywhere. Um, the, the young girl nominated for Beast of the Southern World, who's nine, and he said in 16 years she'll be too old for George Clooney. It's just, it's just not nice to sexualise a nine-year-old when she's at an award ceremony. She's there in the room with you, probably with her parents. That's not good. Um, but the other thing that really annoyed me actually was how some of the media reacted to it. Um, the Sun, uh, brilliant, in their indignation and reporting of the controversy, decided to show pictures from all of the films where actresses were showing their boobs. Of course they did. What do you expect from the Sun? (laughs) But, But again, they can't be angry about it. And then show the pictures. They, I bet, but they stood, that's just, they're not angry about it really, are they? It's just no. sensationalism. I, just bet, I, I, bet, I bet the Daily Mail did exactly the same, but were more angry. The Daily Mail didn't, yeah, well, the Daily Mail got angry about a lot of it, but the Daily Mail are the same people who show pictures of 12-year-old daughters of actresses saying, so-and-so's looking like a woman now and stuff like that. So that really annoyed me. I can just about take that Seth MacFarlane does what Seth MacFarlane does. I don't like it. I find it a bit distasteful. But like like Owen says, 
that's what the Academy hired him for. And the Academy actually needs to take responsibility for the show. Seth MacFarlane needs to take a bit of responsibility for the fact that he's not very funny. It might be. And he's a complete prick. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, for the responsibility for making me watch Ted as well. I'm still yeah. fucking bitter about that. <laughs> James is equally um, to blame for that. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> but there are very two clear differences there, though, aren't there? Different no, problems, different issues. So yeah, I've got issues with his humour. Uh, I, I do have issues. I do think he's sexist. And I do think casual sexism, casual racism actually can be quite damaging. And I don't know if it's just because I'm a dad of a young girl now and I'm worried about how society's going to see her when she grows up. But it's something I've not really thought about before, but I'm thinking about it now. But the other issue is, what what the hell did the Academy think was going to happen? Um, we all knew it would be like this. Um, but I suppose I expected... I expected... I, I did expect... The organisers of Seth and Tholland to think, oh, hang on, this is the Oscars. Maybe we need to, maybe I just don't need to be Peter Griffin on stage. Maybe I should do something a bit different. Uh, I, 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 I think as much as it's been sensationalised, I think essentially what's happening is you're legitimising, sort of objectifying and dismissing 50% of the population. You're also attacking religious and ethnic groups. Mm. And, and, you know, don't get me wrong, comedy, a lot of the comedy I like is offensive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the best programs I think, the best sort of satirical program of the of the recent years is South Park, mm-hmm. and that takes the piss out of bloody everyone. Mm-hmm. But this was just, I am prejudiced, and bang, here it is. I'm just I'm it, to have a, it, a, a disgusting rant, and, and it, for the Academy to legitimise those views by having him as the host and by signing off on every single one of those jokes, because mm-hmm. there's no way that he's just done those on the fly. You know, they they will have rehearsed this and signed off on it and, and sort of tailored it. So the, for the Academy to legit, legitimise it by doing it is just absolutely disgusting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, there's no sort of way you can explain that away or say that it's possibly acceptable. It's just it, it, it's just horrible, and it says it all about them as an organisation. Yeah. Do you know what? I think that's enough on that. <laughs> yeah. Should we, should we go on to um, Owen's clean sweep of predictions, or should we just gloss over that? Yes, um, I can't believe it. That's pretty incredible. Oh, well done. Um, I've told you, it's his, it's, his, it's his algorithm. He's, he's got it in his mind. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the final results. I, I, Owen did it all for me because I've not bothered to look because I know I did so bloody badly. I come um, second. Although I so. won money on the Oscars, so I'm happy with that. I, I, my, my Argo bet from a long time ago came in. But yeah, Owen won. Um, and I believe it was, was Jerry in second? No, I was second. Oh, Steve was in second. Yeah. Uh, he um, was in second, then I realised I miscalculated. Sorry, Steve, you were third. Uh, who, was, uh, who was last? Uh, I, I was last. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm having a look right here now. I got Argo, right? Um, and half the way right. <laughs> I think that was about it, wasn't it? You got one more, I think. Um, oh, Daniel Day-Lewis, yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis, kind yeah. of doesn't really get in fact, Hathaway doesn't really count, <laughs> and Argo was the favourite by the time it happened. So I managed to get the rest of them horribly wrong. I think a few of mine were more based on what I wanted to happen than what I thought would happen, or something. <laughs> no, I did fucking, <laughs> I did horribly. I did absolutely. Considering I did so well at the BAFTAs a couple of weeks before, I'm, I'm still a little bit shocked at that. But congratulations, yeah, I, did so, I did so badly at the BAFTAs, I wasn't mm. expected to win this, so. No. Um, so, as as decided at the time, the, the critic who got the most correct would get to choose a film for all of us to watch and review at, uh, on a later pod once we've all managed to get hold of a copy of it. So, Owen, um, what are your thoughts? 
Uh, oh, my thoughts. Well, initially I thought, right, this is my chance to pick a really long, boring film. I, I was actually, can I just interrupt? If I won, I was going to pick Run For Your Wife starring Danny Dyer and Neil Morrissey. <laughs> <laughs> just to really annoy everyone. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? That's everyone's, well, apart from James, everyone's I'm, first. I was going to pick Old Boy because I wanted yeah. George to watch Old Boy, and at least Owen has now seen Old Boy. I did watch it, yeah. Just, I decided I would watch it anyway. But, um, okay, yeah, so I, I kind of narrowed it down to three films. Uh, one of them was In the Heat of the Night, after all the shit that I got for picking Sydney Poitier. Every podcast that was second hand on DVD while I was in Glasgow. I got it uh, £1.50 on DVD. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Okay, great. Um, but I didn't choose that one in the end. The other film I was thinking of was one I've talked about before, which is Night of the Hunter. Um, <laughs> I want to see that. <laughs> but then I thought, see, we've already talked, well, I've already talked about it on the podcast yeah. before. So when I thought, I don't remember I was ever actually talking about it. Uh, and it's a really good film as well. Um, it's an Australian animated film, Mary and Max. Nice. Anyone seen it? I've seen the first 20 minutes of it, and then I fell asleep. It was really late at night, though, and I just didn't go back to it. But uh, it's in the IMDb Top 250, isn't it? Uh, Yeah, I think so. Uh, Steve, Jerry? Uh, I I almost watched it, because it's in the IMDb Top 250. It's on Netflix, isn't it? Yes, I've seen it. It's on Netflix. I haven't watched any of it, or seen any of it, or even thought about watching it. <laughs> well, then you can watch it and come back and, and talk to me. It is quite funny. It is quite sad. It's um, just a, a brilliant claymation stop motion film. Um, is that Philip Seymour Hoffman? It's yeah, that's it. Philip Seymour yeah. Hoffman voices in it. Yeah, it's brilliant. I really uh, hope you guys enjoy it. So I'm looking forward to dis- discussing that with you. Well, it's just that's just very good of you. Just out of interest, I was looking to punish the rest of you with the film I chose. Um, <laughs> James and Jerry, what were you going to do? A, a, a punishment kind of film or like a, an enjoyable kind of one like Owen's gone for? If you Mine had was one. both. Because <laughs> I, I genuinely think old, I was going to choose Old Boy and I genuinely think it is a work of genius. But at the same time, it is not an easy watch by any stretch of the imagination. It's recorded, right? And the, the information on it is just amazing. It says, like, caution, scenes of violence, like drugs, sex... Uh, live oxbus suggestions. Yeah. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's it is a bit of a head Um. It, it's it, oh, it's just such a brilliant film though. So, Can I yeah, just I, say, I, I do a, watch a, it. avoid reading absolutely anything yeah, about it try because I have. Yeah. I, I've had this. I watched a film that's got a similar sort of twist in it, a similar sort of um, plot, mm. and someone had said, "Oh, this is really similar to Old Boy." Uh, so well, I kind of knew what was going to happen, and that it, it didn't ruin the film for me. I did enjoy the film. It lessens the impact. It though. lessens the impact. So just avoid reading about it and just okay. watch it. Yeah. I'll be just Steve. I would have chosen uh, a Spanish film, which I suppose would be a punishment for you because you fucking hate reading anything while you're. <laughs> but for the rest of them, it would have just been a nice, interesting film to watch, but not for you. <laughs> <laughs> if I ever get the chance again, you're all watching Run for Run for Your Wife. <laughs> uh, right, so we best do what we've been watching um, in the last, I suppose, fortnight now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, which, like I said, for Owen is every film ever, by all accounts. Um, uh, Fifteen this week. 
Where do you want, where do you want to start then, Owen? Are you asking me, or should I? Okay, I'll yeah, start. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll talk about two new releases. Um, first one is uh, I only saw it yesterday. Actually, I was really tired after sort of we did a lot of work in the garden, so I was a bit knackered, and I just wanted something quite easy to watch. We went. Oh, to the you cinema. even work with your hands? You even find time do to do gardening? Jesus yeah. Christ! <laughs> so, <laughs> we went to see um, Hansel and Gretel, the new film by uh, Tommy Workola. It was actually pretty good. Pretty what? good as in it's not a bad <laughs> film. It's by the guy who did um, Dead Snow. I did not expect that before. Okay. Uh, I didn't recognise that it was the same guy until I sort of came out of the cinema and was checking it on IMDb and thought, oh my God, that's that's him. But um, yeah, it's one. it starts off with a really annoying sort of, it's a classic tale with a new twist. You know, all these films that are coming out at the minute, like you've got Jack the Giant Slayer, which goes, a classic tale like you've never seen before. And Oz, the great and the powerful. The land you know, the story you didn't. And all these really just tiresome, tedious taglines. But... Um, yeah, it was it was it was a bit ridiculous. It's, it's exactly what you expect this film to be. Um, it's got some mildly amusing bits. There's not really that many that you laugh out loud to, but you know it's quite sort of humorous as it as it goes. Um, yeah, I mean for some reason I thought the film was going to be a twelve. So when I found out that it was a fifteen, and you, when you're watching it, the amount of gore in the film took me by surprise a little bit. But you know, working out actually it's made by that guy who did Dead Snow, sort of fits and makes sense a little bit because he's really good with gore. He was brilliant with it in um, Dead Snow. But yeah, there is a, a hell of a lot of gore. There's a sort of showdown battle with the witches at the end of the film. That's not really a spoiler because it's, it's just advertised from the second the film's on. Um, and there's a bit with a troll in it who's... Um, I don't really... He probably bumps up the film to a 15 on his own, really. Uh, <laughs> but there's a, there's a lot of... sort. Well, there's not a lot. There's a bit of nudity and suggested sort of stuff in there. Um, but it's really, yeah, it's really the level of violence which came as a shock to me. I was expecting something like, you know, Brothers Grimm movie or The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but it was like a level above that. But it's an entertaining film, kind of delivers what you expect it to and then adds a bit more. Um, it's like an extended episode of a TV programme, really. Uh, the opening credits that, that sort of roll through the film kind of look like an opening credit sequence to a TV show. Um <clears throat> And the way that it ends, kind of, it's got a self-contained story, but it leaves a bit open so that, oh, okay, so they could do a sequel if they were really up for it. I don't think there will be because it's not that kind of film, but it's kind of left open a little bit. Is it? Is it um, Jeremy Renner in this one? It's, yeah, Jeremy Renner and I forget the lady's name. Gemma Arterton. Uh, yeah. So they're, they're all right in it, you know. Considering they're supposed to be brother and sister and spend a lot of the film together, they actually end up spending quite a lot of it apart, so they don't really have much in the way of chemistry. A lot of their scenes are sort of separate, which is a bit odd. You kind of expect them to be on the screen together all the time, but they get separated and then, yeah. But um, it's okay. It's, I mean, it's it's entertaining for what it is. I wouldn't sort of go out of your way to watch it. I, I wouldn't watch it in 3D either. Don't bother paying the extra for the 3D. It is just way too blurry and adds absolutely nothing at all. But there are definitely worse films in the cinema to spend your money on at the moment, um, which kind of leads me on to my next film, which is Arbitrage. Uh, the film directed by Nicholas Jarecki, I think it's his first film. It stars Richard Gere, um, Susan Sarandon, Tim Roth's in it. It's uh, a story about a hedge fund magnate who's desperate to complete the sale of his sort of trading empire. Makes an error, forces him to um, turn to someone unlikely for help. And yeah, I mean, it's described by Robbie Collins, the sort of head film critic 
of the Telegraph as gourmet junk cinema. It kind of sums it up quite nicely, I think. It's um, it's just just a, it's got a feel of a generic thriller to it. There's not really anybody in the whole film who is likable. They're all detestable, spoiled, privileged, entitled, horrible twats, basically. Um, but it's purposefully so. You you're meant to dislike them. Um, so you know everyone in it is just completely morally bankrupt. Even the ones that you think, oh, these these are going to be this is going to be where actually someone does some good, and no, it's not. They're, they're all just horrible people. Um, but whether it's because it kind of trickles down from the top, it's kind of saying that not everyone, just the people in business, and then everyone outside of the business are good. It's not. It's everyone. Everyone is corruptible. So yeah, I mean, it, it didn't make it um, a very likable film. But it was good performances. Richard Gere was good. Tim Roth as the cop was probably the sort of saving grace of the film. He's a bit um, got a chip on his shoulder about rich people, but he does he does stuff that's not within the you know the rules and just to get his man. Um, but it's a good performance. But yeah, of the two, if you had to go and see one or the other, oddly, I, I wouldn't predict this from before I watched either of them. But it would be Hansel and Gretel. It's just the more entertaining film. There's a lot of potential with Arbitrage and with Nicholas Jarecki. I think he could go on to make a good film, but this wasn't quite it. Okay. Yeah. Well, very quickly, I can't compete with Owen's volume. Literally the only film that I've watched this week um, is Twilight Breaking Door Part 1. Why? <laughs> oh, God. Not even I've seen that, Jerry. <laughs> uh, was- Have you seen the other ones, Jerry? I've seen the first two. Okay. Oh. Why? It was like, <laughs> I, I would rather watch an animal eat its own shit. Genuinely, though, why did you watch it? Because I basically made my girlfriend watch too many films that she has absolutely no <laughs> desire to watch for a number of months, and that she finally won. I think. I think it was revenge for, uh, you know, making her watch it more as a light Christmassy film. <laughs> So yeah, absolute shit. Avoid. Don't watch any of that. I know Commode tries to tell you that they're better than people think. No, they're not. They're fucking terrible. Don't watch them. <laughs> uh, anything else did you, did you watch? Uh, not that I can think of, no. No. <laughs> I, I, probably watched, I probably watched quite a few things the week before when we didn't have a podcast and they escaped from my brain pretty quickly. So Yes, I, um, I watched two films... Um, that were just shit, for lack of a better word, this week. In the, in the fortnight we've been off, I watched two good films that I enjoyed, but I can't remember what they are now, it's been so long. Um, but I watched two shit films in the last week, which really have, you know, made me lose all hope of Hollywood, really. Um, I'll start off with the, the briefest review, which is a film called The Darkest Hour. So it's The Darkest Hour is a film about um, two people... Um, I can't remember their brothers or friends, I didn't really care, uh, who go to Russia to try and sell their idea, their concept to some kind of business and get screwed over, but then they go out on the piss in the nightclub because, well, what else are you going to do in Moscow, really? And then some aliens come down and try and take over the Earth for some reason that's left unclear, but they're not like typical aliens like you'd see in like Independence Day or even Mars Attacks, they're like, made of energy or electric or something I didn't really get explained I don't really understand but that makes them harder to kill but you can you can see them 
come in if you carry some light bulbs around with you. It's rubbish. Don't don't even waste your time on it. I I did, and you know I did it for you. Don't. <laughs> it was on Sky. It's on Sky, and it's on Sky Go, and it's just you know, a waste of your time. I think it's an hour and a half long, and that's too much. It doesn't make any sense. There's no decent acting performances in it. There's no good dialogue. There's no good action. There's no good effects. There's there's nothing of any redeeming quality about the film whatsoever. It is just rubbish. Good. Is it actually Thanks. in Russian, Steve, or is it? Um, no, it's 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 like an American it's, film. it's an American film. It's just set in Moscow, and it's rubbish. Like seriously, don't waste your time on it. Don't don't even be curious by me telling you how bad it is and thinking. It can't be that bad. I'm going to go and watch it because it can't be as bad as you're making out. It is. Just please don't don't waste your time on it. And then maybe if we all stop wasting our time on films like this, people will stop making them. Oh yes, totally agree with you. And, uh, and on a similar and on a similar film <laughs> theme, I watched Battleship. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> why Why did you watch Twilight? You know, why do we do these things? Um, Battleship is. So bad that Liam Neeson even wanted to cut short his appearance in it by just sort of fleetingly appearing every now and again. It is about, um, again, two brothers. This time they are brothers. I managed to work that much out. One of them is in the Navy. One of them's a bit of a useless shit, but then he joins the Navy. But instead of being a useless shit, he's like one of them kind of rebels, one of them rogues who's like, he play, he doesn't play by anyone else's rules but his own. He's a maverick. He's a maverick, exactly. Yeah, he's also a tosser. Um, but then it's, <laughs> it's got, it's got every, and then some aliens turn up and try and take over the earth for whatever reasons that I forget because I wasn't really that interested. Um, but it's got every single cliche of like a summer blockbuster film like, um, Armageddon or like Independence Day. You've got like the, you've got like the nerd who turns out to be really useful in the end. You've got, like a somebody, you got like a group of people who you wouldn't expect, like because they're disabled. They, you know, there's an ex-army guy who's lost both legs. He turned out to be a hero despite his disability. You've got just every single cliche from a big blockbuster action film you could want, and it's and it's shit. Like Armageddon was on telly on on Sat on Friday night. That's a perfect example of how to do a proper blockbuster action film. Yeah. This was, battleship, yeah. Battleship's just rubbish. The characters are rubbish. I mean, Rihanna can't act, so why are you putting in her a film? Don't. Just find an actress. There's loads of, <laughs> there's loads of them about. <laughs> it's literally hundreds of them, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. There's many down it, man, in yeah. Los Angeles. There's tons who are probably better than Rihanna are acting. Yeah. There's, you know, it's, it's worse than Skyline, and that was rubbish. It's better than The Darkest Hour, though. Um, Okay. I don't really know what else I can say about it. It's got it's got the foreign guy that you don't really trust at first, but then he does something really clever, and then you start trusting him, and he becomes your mate. That's in it. Okay. So yeah, cliche written by the same. It is. Yeah. It is, and it's rubbish. I don't know what Liam needs to do to turn up in that. Um, James, what did you watch? Okay. Um, yeah. Basically, because I watched about 20 films in a week at Glasgow Films Festival, uh, I've watched one film this week. Because um, I've also been revising really hard because I'm going to be uh, I'm recording my appearance on Pointless, the BBC quiz show on Wednesday. So I've uh, I've been... Oh. Yeah, <laughs> just drop that in there. 
Do you know when it airs? Yeah, uh, it's going to be about two or three months away, I think. Um, okay. It's uh, we're, we're the third day of filming for the new series, so I'll obviously let everyone know. Um, I, I hope yeah. I hope you fail on a film question. <laughs> that's just me. That, that, that's my one fear, actually. I, I, I can take just about going out on anything, um, but a film question would be just the worst. If, if the it, absolute worst. If a film question comes up, you've got to mention the podcast. If a fo- yeah, if, I, might, if, I might be able to drop. I can drop it in. I can easily drop it in and yeah. say, "Oh, I'm a failed critic," or so. Yeah, I can. I no, can do, drop do, it in just, just do it properly. Like if a football <laughs> question comes up, mention Born Offside. Just say, the camera. Just, just, just say, just say, like, "Oh, I should really know this because I do a film podcast." And then Xander will go, "Oh yeah, what's that then?" And you'll tell him, and you'll, and it'll be on yeah. telly and everything. And do the same yeah. if you get a football one for Born Offside. Obviously, okay. yeah, don't worry, I will. <laughs> you got your instructions. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I've only watched one film this week, and I kind of we've got a bit of a theme here. The film I watched this week was Cars Two. Come on, someone ask me the question that everyone else has been asking. What? Is it absolute toss? Like why? Yeah, <laughs> basically why um, is my daughter is really, really into Cars, the first film, which isn't a bad film. It's it's a it, good film. Yeah, it gets a lot of flack, but I quite like it. It's basically Doc Hollywood with cars. It's it's got some nice performances and stuff like that. Dude, the second I'm one, idiots. Oh, this is awesome. Yeah, I, I, I like cars. The second one is oh, it's utter utter drivel. I'm so angry. Um, I wasn't hugely angry. I was a bit. I was just disappointed that. It it turned out to be uh, uh, correct. Everyone had. St- have any of you watched Cars Two? No, no. I think it's no, the only Pixar. Film and it's weird because it's a Pixar film, and, and we say, "Oh, there's a Pixar film coming out. We're all going to go and watch Monsters University." I'm sure. Uh, but this one, everyone's oh god, because the first one um, didn't do brilliantly, uh, and this is the one they bring back for a sequel. They don't do sequels generally, apart from Toy Story. And apparently, John Lasseter, director, said that he'd only ever do sequels um if the story was right and it kind of forgets the fact that cars is their biggest merchandising cash cow worldwide uh, i think it makes them about eight billion pound a year or so that's no, not uh, but they've made eight billion pound eight, the eight billion is correct they've made made eight billion uh dollars in cars merchandising since the first film came out so that's the reason cars 2 was made and it, and it upsets me a little bit to think that Pixar, they, well, they have. They've become a big boy, they've become a big player, and now sadly they make films based on how much they're going to make from the toys. And that's really sad. And do you know what? Cars 2 really suffers for the fact that it was basically an advert for more of their merchandising. It's got a weird kind of James Bondy spy storyline uh, where Lightning McQueen, played by Owen, well, voiced by Owen Wilson, um, is racing across the world in a number of races, invited by uh, a car called Samar's Axelrod, uh, voiced by Eddie Izzard. And he's developed some kind of alternative fuel. And there's a whole big oil storyline going on. Michael Caine plays a a spy car called Finmuck Missile. Um, And Michael Caine's good value as a voice. Um, But what really surprised me was how much violence there is in this film. There, there, there are cars dying. It is like a Bond film, but with cars instead of people. And I was thinking, this, this isn't aimed at children. This is weird. Um, that the plot makes no sense. It's actually really difficult to follow at points and then just relies on complete 
ludicrous idea. And what annoys me is the original Cars is in a very realistic world and universe. Whereas in this film, oh, all of a sudden one car has wings because they're a spy. So they, and you've got cars flying, um, cars with hologramic disguises and stuff like that. And it just completely tears up anything that was good about the first film, which is about a small town. Um, and it's just, if you're going to make a big epic spy, don't do it with the characters from that first film because that that worked for a particular reason. That was about a big city boy going to a small town. It was yeah, you know, it was a very, it was a, it was a common story, but it was a nicely done story. This is just utter drivel. A really really bad film. Um, and interestingly, it is the only Pixar film never to be nominated for Oscar Best Animated Film, and and with good reason. Uh, it's just it's just a bad. It didn't win a single Oscar uh, in terms of any technical award or anything like that. Uh, and again, the only Pixar film ever to do that because it's bad. It's it's a straight to video, you know, McDonald's Happy Meal of a film. It's not nice at all. So I watched it as a kind of Pixar completist. Um, you might want to watch it for that. There's a few good sequences, but as a film, it's it does not hold together well at all. Um, I particularly liked your use of the word hologramic there and just think it's good that you're going on pointless rather than countdown. <laughs> did I say hologramic? That's you did, terrible. yes. It's That's not, a fucking yeah. embarrassment, isn't it? <laughs> uh, right, so now we're on to triple bill that we've not done for a little while. Um, no. And James, what is it? Okay, so triple bill this week is simply our, our favourite car, che- car chase scenes car uh, from films. <coughs> or ve- vehicular chases. Uh, will <laughs> There we go. There needs to be a vehicle. There needs to be a chase. Preferably two vehicles at least. <laughs> okay. That's it. That's well, all it is. So it's, it's our film. And what we will do is we'll try and get um, YouTube links for all the car chases up to put on the blog so people can actually see them uh, after we after listening or before listening before um, if they've not seen them all. And I'm sure there's going to be crossover on this one. So, who wants to start? Hands up. Yeah, I'm going first. I you just couldn't see it. No. <laughs> Go on then, Owen. Okay. Um, the first one I picked was, it, I mean, the whole film's really a kind of car chase in a way. Picked The Jewel, a Spielberg film from 1971. I actually picked it for my Decade in Film article on the website. Um, it's basically the film itself is just about a man being driven um, to to near the brink of collapse by fear and paranoia as he's sort of chased across an American highway by a truck just for no apparent reason he can't sort of figure out why he's doing it or what you know what driving this guy to to try and run him off the road with this truck. The bit the bit that I really like in the film is as the film comes to sort of a climax, there's a just one last chase scene where he thinks he's get, getting away with it. Dennis Weaver is sort of driving the car, thinks he's getting away with it, but he's just sort of being pushed that little bit too far. And it just, I won't say, I'd say exactly what happens in the end, but it kind of drives him over the edge, shall we say. Oh, that's yeah. not too canny of anyway um <laughs> but it's yeah no for, it's a fairly low budget film i think it was made for tv originally um but the whole film is great and particularly that sort of that chase i just think that that last bit is just fantastic just everything about it is brilliant yes top film top film yeah second film i'm going for is um well i didn't see it until recently actually it's um the uh quentin tarantino film death proof okay um, 
there's a couple of car chases in that, and there's a few of them actually, but the, the one I'm talking about is, again, the last car chase in the film. It's the final chase. The tables have kind of been turned on um, Kurt Russell's character. He's sort of bleeding, crying, a bit hysterical, and he's being chased down by some stunt girls who he previously chased earlier on in the film. I mean, the whole film's got moments of these awesome scenes mixed in with a lot of tedious, boring shite. But it's just after this kind of penultimate car chase, really, when um, Zoe Bell's on the bonnet of a car. That's pretty cool. She's been sort of chased and almost run off the road with um, by, by uh, Kurt Russell's character. But it's the high-speed chase that after the end, that's after that bit, which is just my favourite of the whole film. I mean, it's a proper thrill ride. It's what you want from a, a film with a car chase in it. When you... you you know the premise of the film it's stunt driver chasing some girls off the road this is the scene you wanted it isn't some girls chatting rubbish in a car on the way to a holiday or whatever they're doing it's two people one in one car one in the other trying to sort of kill each other with their cars and yeah it's just pretty great um and my final film which i i don't know whether it uh, will get any crossover I, I, I probably won't but uh, you know i really like it it's the opening scenes um, to the film The Transporter with Jason Statham. So sitting in his little BMW, reading the rules to the guys in the back of the car who've just robbed the bank, um, kind of sets the film up quite nicely anyway. But it's that little chase through the tidy side streets of, of France. I think they're in Nice. Um, and he's sort of pursued by the cops. And it's just, it's just brilliant. It's all choreographed so brilliantly. And it's just so slick. I mean, I'm not really... I'm not generally that kind of person who watches films for the car chases and just you know nothing against that you know some people enjoy different things to other people it's not really one of the things i like watching a film for um but it was the first one that sort of came to my mind when i was trying to draw up this list of films and it's maybe not the kind of pulsating heart pounding high speed chase like you get in i don't know in uh, jack reacher or uh, lawless but it's still great nonetheless i think it kind of reminds me more of like a jackie chan fight scene you know how it's kind mm. of it makes use of everything on the set everything is integral to what's happening with this, this car chase rather than being just a bog standard chase through some busy streets so I think because of the way it uses every, it uses the environment um, it's probably my favourite of the three and I mean the film itself has got a few flaws I'm not denying that but that first eight to ten minutes just oh one of them so that's that's my final final choice nice. I'm sorry there was one I thought you were going to put in there that you haven't and I'll, we'll, we'll chat yeah. about that afterwards we'll see. We'll, see, Steve... we'll see if anyone else has gone for it but... Steve put me off that one on the forum when we were going under the car chase rules, I was technically right. <laughs> now we've changed. Now we've changed the rules. You could have had it, but you know. Yeah. Now we've like. moved the goalposts. But I was originally in the right. Um. Right, James. Do you want to go next? Okay. Yeah. Um. I've gone for uh a couple of classics. Um. Which may or may not show up, but they're definite classics. Uh, um, but I'm going to start off with uh, I was talking about Cars 2 it's not one from Cars but it is it is a Pixar one um, it's the car chase at the end of Toy Story um, I, I love this and it, it's a it's a car uh, and a removable truck I, being chased by a radio control car I went, I went with that as well but it's a great bit of um, it's a great bit of cinema, and also because Toy Story was one of the first films that looked like this, and it really showed off the the visual 
helps the side of Toy Story. But it's full of humour. You've got a dog chasing. Um, there's a lovely little in joke as um, as they pull out. Uh, they've been they've got Slinky Dog connecting the uh, the radio control car and the the removal truck. Basically, the idea is that um, Buzz and Woody are trying to get back into the removals truck, which is left without them. Um, and halfway through getting back in there, the toys have chucked Woody overboard because they think he's coming to kill them all because they think he's killed Buzz, um, which is which is a brilliant bit of uh, the film as well. And then when the car chasing it, it kind of appears in the, the wing mirror and there's a little bit of a Hakuna Matata playing in the film. Yeah. That's a lovely little self-referential piece there. It's just, it's great. And um, it ends with a fantastic, it ends with fireworks and flying and... It's not uh, flying, lovely, it's not flying. A lovely nine as well. It's not flying, um, it's falling with style. Yeah, exactly. Yes, um, we're not aiming for the truck. Oh, it's beautiful. Probably made me cry the first time I saw it. Um, no surprises. And, yeah, and it's it's just a wonderful, wonderful uh, film. And that was actually one of the car chases that came to mind for me. Uh, uh, and and obviously Steve agreed with me. No, that's that's good to see. Uh, not often we agree on anything, is it, Steve? But. Um, we've got that in it. My my second one, I was really torn here because there are two brilliant chases in this film. Um, it's the Blues Brothers, uh, the original, not the two thousand nonsense. There is a great chase scene where they're going around uh, a mall, uh, which was actually the filming was it was scheduled for demolition. They restocked a shopping mall and basically just drove cars through it. It is if you've not seen it, just search Blues Brothers car chase on on YouTube. Uh, in fact, if you've not seen it, just watch Blues Brothers, for God's sake. I bloody love that film. Um, but it's uh, Jake and Elmore are just driving through a, a shopping centre and police cars are just crashing through windows. And it, what I love about this one is it it's ridiculous. Um, and then later on in the film, you get an even more ridiculous car chase. And what I do love about this car chase is... It is. Uh, it knows how ridiculous it is, and it just ramps it up. And you, at the towards the end of it, they're chasing through the streets. I think it's Chicago. There's an elevated uh, train there, which actually is a homage to what's going to be my number one choice. Um, but they're they're crashing through everything, and it's like Owen says. I'm not a huge huge car. Ch- I wouldn't watch a film because someone said, "Oh, there's a load of great car chases in it." Um, but I sat and watched this film and thought, no one's going to do a funnier car chase than this film. It is the funniest car chase I've ever seen. And right at the end, you've got like this, just this wall of upside-down police cars, which would have been impossible to to make for, for it to have happened. But it's there. It's, it's a lovely joke. So Blues Brothers, there's a load of great car chases in that. And that's, uh, that's my second favourite. My favourite one um, is The French Connection. Um, has anyone seen The French Connection? None. No, unfortunately. No. No. Jeremy, oh, see that could that, right. That's going to be my new. If we have a challenge, I'm going to make the French Connection. Actually, uh, Gene Hackman won his first ever Oscar uh, for playing Lieutenant Lieutenant Popeye. Door. That is this incredible scene. It's directed by William Friedkin, who uh, also directed The Exorcist in the 70s. It's a brilliant hard-boiled 70s cop thriller. Basically, it's about drugs uh, in Chicago. Um, and there is this scene where the drug, the drug dealers have hijacked the, the L train, the elevated train. So it's like a, it's like a tube train, but it goes above the city. Um, 
and Popeye jumped, they've hijacked that and they've got a gun on the driver and they're trying to get away. And Popeye hasn't got time to get to the train. So he jumps into, he basically gets a car, the classic um, movie cop thing, just uh, takes a car from a passing driver, gets them out and he chases it through the streets. So the train has got its own track above the city and he's following it along the streets. The great thing about this, it's about six minutes long. Um, just for now, just watch the watch the uh, chase itself. Watch it and then realise that William Freaking didn't get permission from the city to film it. This car chase was filmed in real traffic. And then you think, Jesus Christ, how did no one die? It's ridiculous. Wouldn't have got away with it these days, obviously. You know, health is it. But watching it, you think, actually, these are real drivers who are getting out of the way of a car. And uh, that is the scariest thing about this. Um, I'm pretty sure people would have gone to prison these days. My, um, I heard uh, what happened was basically because the L train is also part of this. They are uh, they want they needed a driver to drive an L train uh, and clear a bit of track, and it was it was a bit more than a driver. It was someone high up in the transport authority in Chicago, and he said to them, "I'm going to need I can't remember the exact amount of." Uh, money, but like half a million dollars. I'm going to need half a million dollars because once I do this, I'm going to be sacked. And they paid him. So uh, the train that they didn't get permission from Chicago Transport, um, they didn't get permission to film. And this went on to win Oscars. Uh, and it's just, it's just a reminder of how kind of old school and rock and roll some of Hollywood used to be. William Friedkin is a. I think he used to take a gun on set with him and stuff like that. He's an absolute lunatic. But he's a genius director, and it's just such an incredible car chase, and that's that's my favourite one ever. There we go. Cool. Good good list, if anything. Thank you. Pleasure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right onto my list. We've already heard one of mine, Toy Story. James talked about that. Second one is Back to the Future, and you're thinking, where's the car chase in this? Some of you. Well, it's when you start off in the diner um, back in 1950. Is it they're in? It's nineteen fifty something, and um, Biff comes in and he starts threatening Marty's dad, who's obviously not his dad yet because it's in the past. And then he gets into a, a altercation with with Marty McFly, who goes speeds off on a skateboard. He nicks off some kid um, and gets chased by Biff and his friends in the car. I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's a great choice, Steve. And also. Um... Not strictly speaking within the original rules, but you're fine now. There's, there's, <laughs> I was just thinking that. There's, think a, a, minute. there's a car, there's a car, and it's chasing. <laughs> I think I'm right. <laughs> cracking choice, though. Um, yeah. and, and like all good, like all good, um, like car chases, it's got it's got a, a punchline, an end point. You know, the, the viewer gets some satisfaction at the end of it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, um, my other choice, the choice that rounds off my trio, is of course the Italian Job, one of the most iconic films involving cars, I'd say, ever. Um, mm-hmm. With original, I'm yeah, assuming. Yes, the original, not the <laughs> god awful remake with Jason Statham and um, who else was it? Mark Marky Mark was in it, wasn't he? Norton, um, yeah. But yeah. no, I'm I'm talking about the original with Michael Caine and they're they're driving the minis through Turin and through the tunnels and through the football stadium and then you're ending up in the bus hanging over the cliff with the with the immortal line that I won't repeat because I'll just lessen it. 
but you can you can say uh, it, it's got so many great lines. Piazza Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen it for years, um, but I bloody love the Italian. There's a great bit near the beginning where he says that um, he used to shoot tigers. Michael Caine is fantastic in the Italian job. I think it's one of his best ever performances because he is the he is just he's so cool, um, but at the same time he's funny and he's trying to keep a handle on all these idiots that he's having to do this job with. It, it's a brilliant, brilliant did he, did he not hire these idiots, or did he have them thrust upon him? I can't remember. He kind of had them thrust upon him because uh, Mr. Bridge is basically running the operation from in prison. Played by Noel Coward. It, oh, it's such a great film. And Benny Hill's in it. As well. I, I, yeah. meant, I love that film, though. So, yes, that's my three. Now on to, uh, on to Jerry's three. Okay. Um, first one. I, I, I'm not going to lie. These are sort of vehicular car chases. <laughs> um, first one is The Dark Knight. The scene okay. with yeah. the lorries and the Batmobile, etc. Um, and, you know, there's there's bazookas involved, which is always a bonus for me. <laughs> um, and, of course, there is the sort of iconic scene where they managed to flip the big 18-wheeler up off the ground. Yeah. Which is just, whoa. I remember seeing that and just being like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. And just sitting there, wide-eyed, open mouth. Great chase scene. Uh, one of my favourite films. So it had to be in there, really, because I think as a sort of technical achievement, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. And a great payoff again. Uh, it, the, the best, I think the best car chase scenes are ones that actually move the story along. Uh, and in the dark night, it isn't just right. Let's have a car chase. It's it's a pivotal moment in the story, isn't it? Yeah, um, and you get device. you get a twist in there. You actually and you actually care about the characters, and I think that's really important. Indeed. On the other end of the scale, this is one that um, Owen might have seen it. Actually, I was about to say Mel's probably seen this, but Owen's probably seen it. It's a film from the eighties called The Hidden. Anybody heard of it? No, no, mm, no. Actually, no. My my TiVo thought I'd recorded it the other day, but I'd actually recorded Michael Haneke's hidden stroke cachet. But the um the the info with it was a film from 1987, like an American film. So I'm assuming that's the actual film. Yeah, basically, there's like um an alien inhabits the body of an F- a dead FBI agent and like goes on a bit of a rampage basically yeah that's it that's what it just got and I thought hang on that's not a Michael Hanukkah film yes yeah good I'm glad we're on the same page here bloody amazing basically the opening scene is just absolute sheer carnage it's a bank robber it starts it's literally the opening scene of the film uh, over the credits and a bank robber walks out of the bank uh, gets in a Ferrari and basically they take every single cliche in the history of car chases and turn them up to 11, and then just take the piss of it. And the, all, the entire time, there's like some classic 80s metal playing on, in, on his stereo. So every time you're in the car, he's got like some real shredding, like 80s metal, like Pantera or something. <laughs> I can't remember it exactly, like Slayer or something. And it's just like, they do like all sorts of stupid stuff. Like, you know, like he, he hits the pedestrians instead of them like dashing out of the way. And he goes through, the guy, two guys carrying a pane of glass, he goes through the glass and like, smashes through it and, and things like that it's just, uh, and runs them over and I, at one point he, he runs over a guy in a wheelchair 
because you know you know the, the trademark oh someone being pushed on in a wheelchair oh scream and then he just swerves out like no he just passed through them <laughs> but it's just the most ridiculous car chase ever you have to watch it out once you get the youtube video up for, for this just give it a watch it's absolutely superb and it's it's just so enjoyable it's like they're just having such a good time making the car they were like right what what do we love about car chases let's just do everything that we really really enjoy it's <laughs> amazing <laughs> And it even features a massive explosion, which is obviously what you need at the end of a great chase. Uh, the third one, again, not really a vehicular chase. It's a vehicular chase rather than a car chase. It's Terminator 2. I can't believe no one said yeah. it. Yeah, that was the one I, went, I thought Owen was going to say. I was going to pick that, as, and then Steve complained that there were no cars in it. Because it was originally so... car chases, and I, it, that was the basis. I was quite right. There's not a single car in it. <laughs> And then he picks this one with a skateboard. They smash it into cars. The, the, yeah. the Terminator smashes into cars. It is, is it, truck. Is this the one that's soundtracked by um, uh, You Could Be Mine by Guns N' Roses as well? I can't remember. I think, I think it is. It's, 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 it's yeah. a great scene. A great, I've not seen Terminator 2 in bloody years. The Blu-ray is really worthwhile. Blu-ray's I've got I've got the Blu-ray at home. Cool. I'll, I'll give that up and watch them. Um, yeah, classic scene. If you haven't seen it, uh, involves like a dirt bike... Um, the, the 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 bad Terminator whose designation I can't remember at this point uh, is chasing young Connor anyway, and he's he's having a bit of a a mad dash away from him on his little dirt bike. It's, if you ever played Streets of Rage, it's like as eighties as that basically. <laughs> um, and then there's like an eighteen wheeler, and then Arnie turns up on his Harley, and he has this shotgun that he can do with one arm. And yeah. it's just ridiculously cool. It's just the best chase scene ever. It's amazing. And it features, even though you think it's ended, I'm not, I don't think I'm spoiling anything here. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen Terminator 2, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it ends, and you think it's all over, and then he just, he's melted, and then comes back together. So, yeah. one of the best... Yeah, is that the so, reveal of his thing, then, is it? Is that... I can't that, well, that's the, find out, yeah. The reveal of it, but it's definitely sort of, it's one of the best, it's so pioneering, one of the best special effects ever. Yeah in films it, it was just brilliant and the whole the whole chase is brilliant that like, sort of iconic thing down the LA sub, like sewer system you know it, it's fantastic it's just... Terminator 2 is the moment when Cameron James Cameron was at the peak of um, great story and great effects okay, he, he went over the hill from that point and started focusing far too much on technology and kind of forgot that Terminator 2 is great because of its story and its effects, and you c- you can't have one without the other. True. Yeah, good. Preaching to converted there, but still, <laughs> one should be made. Uh, well, I think that's that's all for, for this week's podcast. Um, so, James, what's up next week? Do you know what? I, I, I knew you were going to ask me that, and I've just started typing into the... Should, uh, I, should I tell you? I know yeah, what thanks. Thank you. It's our uh, Corridor of Praise. Oh, yes, it is, isn't it? Who have we got? I've forgotten. Is it Sigourney Weaver? No, no. It's oh, okay. uh, one I'm really looking forward oh, to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, yeah. No, that's, yeah. We've got, no, we can say it, yeah. Uh, can Stanley we say it? Stanley yeah, Kubrick, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, so next week is Corridor Praise. We talk about the films. Obviously, it means I better watch the last few ones that I've not seen of Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, I found that Path of Glory is on Mexican Netflix, so I'm going to be watching that this week. <laughs> Mexican Netflix for Christ's <laughs> <laughs> the only place it's on. I think I also still need to watch Lolita as well, and then I think I'm almost there. But Lolita's a weird film. 
Yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about it next week. Um, what's, yeah. what's on the website as well? What can people find there? Okay, so people can find on the website, there is all, just a reminder again, that all, all our Glasgow Film Festival coverage is up on the website. There's uh, a new... Um, 100 Greatest Episodes uh, of TV piece. There's another one coming up of that this week. Hopefully this week we will get Owen's 1972 piece at some point. Owen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Just check out. I wasn't like kind of hurrying you along there. I was just checking that that was okay. Yeah, uh, I had the deliverance delivered in the post, so I really it. wanted to watch that before I wrote the rest cool. of my... There's a few other coming from me as well on, on car chases. That's it, yes. Yeah, um, and also... Well, we'll see. But Steve's Steve's got a new idea. Steve, um, Steve, and I really like it. Steve's got an idea that's been well received by everyone who's heard the idea. So it's just the cynical Jerry McCauley who's left to hear it and pass his opinion on the idea. But there is a list of films that are considered considered the biggest box office failures of all time in terms of losses that they've made the studio, the biggest flops of uh, movie history. And I'm going to go through as many of them as possible, and see if it's justified that they're such a big flop. Um, I'm going to start off, hopefully, if I can find a copy, of 1995's Cutthroat Island, starring Gina Davis, Matthew Modine, and Oscar-winning Frank Langella. Mm. Um, It cost $115 million to make. It lost $96.5 million. And I am going to tell you if it really deserved to lose that much money. Um, it's a pi- it's a pirate film, so and apparently it set all pirate films back until Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, so there's that, a few. Did that there are some... as many as as much as Sahara? Um, Sahara Sahara's really high up. That's Sahara, the fourth worst. Sahara lost yeah. is yeah fourth on the list. If you're going, if you if you adjust the inflation to today's yeah. level, then Sahara is fourth on the list. The Adventures of Pluto Nash is third, but I won't be watching that. I just, I just know that that'll be terrible. I don't even know what that is. It's Eddie, it's it's Eddie Murphy. It's, it's yeah, an Eddie, comedy. yeah, it's Eddie Murphy when he went all like kid friendly and did loads of PG space films. comedy. No, this that was him coming back to try and do something a bit more adult. Was it? And that's why it flopped. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was. He'd done like uh, uh, the, the fat guy in a suit stuff. I can't remember his name now. Um, but he's done a load of those kind of, oh, and Dr. Doolittle. Um, Adventures of Pluto Nash is actually meant to be a bit more adult in nature. Um, yeah, not good though, apparently. Not good at all. Um, some there's of a the few films on that. Yeah, some of the films on that list, uh, some of them have made a lot of money. I mean, like Green Lantern's on there. It's made 290 million. Yeah. Just, I mean, the budget was incredibly high, but, and you know. The, and the marketing was high as well. Uh, that, I think that's, that's the other what, thing. How was the budget on the Green Lantern? Green Lantern had a £325 million pound budget, or dollar budget, rather. Uh, but that does include marketing as well. Yeah. It's on a bank. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, there's some, there's some interesting films on this list. So I'm, I'm... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
looking forward to hearing Hudson Hawk's on there. I think Hudson Hawk is sadly maligned. I, I like Hudson Hawk. What was that one that Owen watched not long ago? The sort of Speed yeah, Racer. That's the one. Speed Racer's really high on there. Speed but Racer. See, that nearly made a hundred million as well. That yeah. nearly made a hundred million from Thirty Crows. So I don't know how much of a flop these really are. Although it's still lost a hundred million. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but you know when you take into production plus marketing, the ones, the, yeah. the ones at the top are definite flops. If if yeah. they're you yes. know if you're if you're costing 115 million yeah. to make and you're only <laughs> ma- and you're only making 18 and a half million, yeah. then then you fucked up somewhere. Yes, I think that's fair enough. Um, and uh, John Carter of Mars is on there, and that's made nearly 300, 400 million, but that cost a ridiculous amount to uh, to put together. So. Yeah, it's got. Uh, I'm Steve, Steve, Steve. I've just realised you're gonna have to watch that shit film with Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez in it. Giggly, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. That's that's at <laughs> least that's, on, that's on that's on the list, but it, it's it's sort of about twentieth. So yeah, it's gonna take really? a while to get there. Jeez, next, yeah, it only cost seventy four yeah. million. It only yeah. cost seventy four million to get out there, but it only made seven point two million we in should, box office. If, if I could, if I could be bothered, I'd I'd work out kind of like a a, a percentage. Of loss, rather than, might be interesting, rather, yeah. rather than actual money, like a percentage loss, so I could work out which was the worst film of all of them, because obviously, yeah. obviously, a film like Gigli is gonna cost less to make than Cutthroat Island because there's no pirates and shit in in that Ben Affleck film. I don't know, there might be. Maybe that's what's so fucking terrible. That's what that's um, all I've heard. But... But anyway, that's that's what I've got in mind, and I would endeavour to do. Um, Yes, that's it for this week. Thanks to everyone who joined us. Thanks to everyone who listened, and thanks to um, Kevin McLeod from that website. Incompetech.com. <laughs> See, yeah, that's yeah. that's exactly how I ended the last yeah. uh, podcast in yeah. in that little outtake at the end. It's yeah, difficult. In- Your job's difficult, Steve. I've got a newfound respect for the work you do on this podcast. <laughs> no one Steve, else does. Is, is the Triple X sequel on there? Um, no, it isn't. Actually. No. Yes, it is. Stay it in is, the union. Yeah. yeah. Well, Although well, only lost nice forty million. Yeah. Only. Only. Yeah. No. But um, I went to see the original Triple X. I can't remember if I went to see that or not. But I, I remember seeing it at some point and being one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life. What the original Triple X? Um, I saw the boob song. I just didn't think it was very funny. I was, I, pretty much, in fact, what I'd say is Seth MacFarlane's job of hosting the Oscars entertained me as much as Ted entertained me, um, which isn't really a surprise. But I, just to interject there, because I yeah. know this is going to sound completely out of place, and it kind of is off yeah. on a, a little tangent. I read yeah. an interview with Richard Herring today, the comedian, about what his favourite film is. Yeah. He picked. He says he didn't know it was either Ted. Or Expendables 2. Richard Herring said. You say he's pissed though, right? He's got to have been. It didn't sound like it. He was giving tr- like quite justifiable reasons for picking it. It was just a bit odd. Ah, uh, he must have been winding he's up. He's got to have been. Wind up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like the Guardian wasn't winding up when they named it their second favourite film of last year. That I still cannot get over. Yeah, um, snob. <laughs> yes, I know. I'm such a film snob. Um, yeah, yeah, okay, the boob song, Bin and Dot, you know, I, I didn't think it was, I don't think it deserved the 
righteous indignation of the masses the way that did. And the thing is, what annoyed me actually is the boob song became what everyone uh, kind of associated with Seth MacFarlane's edgy stroke controversial hope. There was like people were like, oh, we only sang about boobs, and people go, oh god, he sang about boobs. It's like actually there was loads more that was a lot worse than that song. I didn't think that song was in great taste. I, I also didn't think it was very funny. Um, but I was more concerned especially towards the end, and I tweeted this as it happened, so my righteous indignation was not caused by media fury or anything like that. When um, uh, Sam Hayek came out to present an award, before he introduced her, he said, now's the point uh, in the ceremony when one of Penelope Cruz, Javier Bardem or Sam Hayek will come out and you won't understand a word they're saying, but you won't care because they look so pretty. Basically, a lot. and I just thought, that that's not edgy. That's just oh, don't Mexicans talk funny? It was just, it just seemed it's basically like Jim Davidson or Rachel That's that's what annoyed me about this was it was nine. It was like going back to nineteen sixties, nineteen seventies. His um his take on Zero Dark Thirty being about a woman's innate um inability to get over things or forget things. Yeah, and it was like to let something go. That was it. I was like, that's a take my wife, please. The thing that, and um, when Ted came out to, the cartoon Ted came out to present award, he went on for about two minutes about how Hollywood was run by Jewish people. And it's, none of this is clever. Have none you not, of this was funny. Have you not seen it, Family Guy? Yeah, and, and, but this is about, to me, it's about context. Family Guy is, people tune into Family Guy knowing what to expect, okay? It's in a context. It's about, you know, and so if you tune into Family Guy, you are choosing to watch some humour which you know is going to be like that. He's hosting the Oscars. Now, one thing that someone, someone um, tweeted in earlier and said, what do you expect? That's what Seth MacFarlane does, okay? Which is a defence of sorts. But my, my point is, yeah, what Seth MacFarlane does... Um, is actually quite old-fashioned, not very funny, and a bit racist and a bit sexist. Um, and Seth MacFarlane, they said that's what he does. It's not like it's not like a dog uh, attacking someone. Yeah, he's he's not he's not a, he's got his own. He can censor himself. He's got his. He chooses to be like that. He's, it's not a state of being. It's not like Seth MacFarlane was just created and he goes around defending. He chooses to do that. So that, I don't think that defence counts. I just thought it was a really uncomfortable award ceremony. I, I really, I watched it just cringing the entire time. And he made Ricky Gervais look like Stephen Fry, in my opinion, and <laughs> was not good. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, I kind of agree with the, the, the person on Twitter who said that um, that's what you book him for, you know? Yeah. That's what he's known for. He- yeah, I mean, the thing is, Family Guy, you know what you're getting with Seth MacFarlane in a way because of Family Guy, but Family Guy actually has some wit and the observations have sort of wittiness as well you, as used to. offensive. Used to. I think Family mm. Guy is kind of, in a shorter space of time, going the way of The Simpsons where it was good, it did have a peak where it was kind of offensive, but it was witty as well and it had a point to it, but now it just seems to be, you know, pretty average, terrible with just trying to be kind of offensive for the sake of being offensive, like just shock his... value. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> I can't yeah, say I've watched any of the last sort of few seasons to be honest with but, you. But, but I, I, I agree with you. There was just no humour or wit involved in this. It wasn't comedy, it was just a bitter old man ranting about all mm. different friends. I didn't get some of it either, because there was at one point where he basically accused Jennifer Aniston of being a former stripper. Uh just out of nowhere. 
Um, it, it, she came on with Channing Tatum and he said, um, next two people, one of whom is honest about their former past as a, an exotic dancer. And it's like, she looked totally disgusting. The worst one, though, um, was when he accused, um, oh, Wallace, I can't remember her first name now. I'm not even going to try and say it uh, because I can't see it anywhere. Um, the, the young girl nominated for Beast of Southern Wild, who's nine, and he said in 16 years she'll be too old for George Clooney. It's just, it's just not nice to sexualise a nine-year-old when she's at an awards ceremony. She's there in the room with you, probably with her parents. That's not good. Um, but the other thing that really annoyed me, actually, was how some of the media reacted to it. Um, the Sun... Uh, brilliant, in their indignation and reporting of the controversy, decided to show pictures from all of the films where actresses were showing their boobs. Of course oh, they the did. Article. What do you expect from the sun? Yeah. <laughs> but, but again, they can't be angry about it and then show the pictures. They, I bet, that's, but they're, still, that's just, they're not angry about it, really, are they? It's just no. sensationalism. I bet, just I, bet, I, I, bet, I bet the Daily Mail did exactly the same, but were more angry. The Daily Mail didn't. Yeah, well, the Daily Mail got angry about a lot of it, but the Daily Mail are the same people who show pictures of 12-year-old daughters of actresses saying, so-and-so's looking like a woman now, and stuff like that. So that really annoyed me. I can just about take that Seth MacFarlane does what Seth MacFarlane does. I don't like it. I find it a bit distasteful. But like, like Owen says, that's what the Academy hired him for. And the Academy actually needs to take responsibility for the show. Seth MacFarlane needs to take a bit of responsibility for the fact that he's not very funny. In my and he's a complete prick. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. The responsibility for making me watch Ted as well. I'm still yeah. fucking bitter about that. <laughs> James is equally um, to blame for that. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> but there are very two clear differences there, though, aren't there? Different no, problems, different issues. So yeah. I've got issues with his humour. Uh, I, I do have issues. I do think he's sexist. And I do think casual sexism, casual racism actually can be quite damaging. And I don't know if it's just because I'm a dad of a young girl now and I'm worried about how society's going to see her when she grows up. But it's something I've not really thought about before, but I'm thinking about it now. But the other issue is, what what the hell did the Academy think was going to happen? Um, we all knew it would be like this. Um, but I suppose I expected... I expected... Here, I, I did expect the organisers of Seth and Fallon to think, oh, hang on, this is the Oscars. Maybe we need to, maybe I just don't need to be Peter Griffin on stage. Maybe I should do something a bit different. Uh, I, 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 I think as much as it's being sensationalised, I think essentially what's happening is you're legitimising, sort of objectifying and dismissing 50% of the population. You're also attacking religious and ethnic groups. And, and you know, don't get me wrong, comedy, a lot of the comedy I like is offensive. You know, one of the best programs, I think, the best sort of satirical program of the, of the recent years is South Park. Mm. And that takes the piss out of bloody everyone. Mm. But this was just, I am prejudiced and bang, here it is. I'm just going to have a, a, a disgusting rant. And, and for the Academy to legitimise those views by having him as the host and by signing off on every single one of those jokes, because mm. there's no way that he's just done those on the fly. You know, they, they will have rehearsed this and signed off on it and, and sort of tailored it. So the, for the academy to legit, legitimise it by doing it is just absolutely disgusting. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, there's no sort of way you can explain that away or say that it's possibly acceptable. It's just it, it, it's just horrible, and it says it all about them as an organisation. Yeah, do you know what? I think that's enough on that. <laughs> yeah, 
Should we, should we go on to um, Owen's clean sweep of predictions, or should we just gloss over that? Yes, um, I can't believe it. That's pretty incredible. Oh, well done. Um, I've yeah, told you, it's, 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 his, it's his algorithm. He's, he's got it in his <laughs> yeah. mind. Um, yeah, the final results. I, I, Owen did it all for me, because I've not bothered to look, because I know I did so bloody badly. I come um, second. Although I won so. money on the Oscars, so I'm happy with that. I, I, my, my Argo bet from a long time ago came in. But yeah, Owen won, um, and I believe it was, was Jerry in second? No, I was second. Oh, Steve was in second. Yeah. Uh, he uh, was in second, then I realised I miscalculated. Sorry, Steve, you uh, were third. Uh, who, was, uh, who was last? Uh, oh, I was last. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm having a look right here now. I got Argo, right? Um, and half the way right. <laughs> I think that was about it, wasn't it? You got one more, I think. Um, oh, Daniel Day-Lewis, yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis, it kind yeah. of doesn't really count. In fact, Hathaway doesn't really count, and Argo was the favourite by the time it happened, so I managed to get the rest of them horribly wrong. I think a few of mine were more based on what I wanted to happen than what I thought would happen, or something. No, I did fucking, <laughs> I did horribly. I did absolutely. Considering I did so well at the BAFTAs a couple of weeks before, I'm, I'm still a little bit shocked at that, but congratulations, yeah, I, did so, I did so badly at the BAFTAs, I wasn't mm. expected to win this, so... no. Um, so, as as decided at the time, the, the critic who got the most correct would get to choose a film for all of us to watch and review at a, a, on a later pod once we've all managed to get hold of a copy of it. So, Owen, um, what are your thoughts? Uh, oh, my thoughts. Well, initially I thought, right, this is my chance to pick a really long, boring film. I, I was actually, can I just interrupt? If I won, I was going to pick Run For Your Wife starring Danny Dyer. And Neil Morrissey, <laughs> <laughs> just to really annoy everyone. <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? That's everyone's. Well, apart from James, everyone's. I was, was going to pick Old Boy because I wanted George yeah. to watch Old Boy, and at least Owen has now seen Old Boy. I did watch it. Out of, yeah, just I decided I would watch it anyway. But um, okay, yeah. So I, I kind of narrowed it down to three films. Uh, one of them was in the heat of the night. After all the shit that I got for picking Sydney Poitier. I've podcast that second hand on DVD while I was in Glasgow. I got it for uh, £1.50 on DVD. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Okay, great. Um, but I didn't choose that one in the end. The other film I was thinking of was one I've talked about before, which is Night of the Hunter. Um, <laughs> I want to see that. <laughs> but then I thought, see, we've already talked, well, I've already talked about it on the podcast yeah. before. So one I thought, I don't remember I was ever actually talking about it. Uh, and it's a really good film as well. Um, it's an Australian animated film mary and max nice anyone seen it i've seen the first 20 minutes of it and then i fell asleep it was really late at night though and i just didn't go back to it but uh, it's in the imdb top 250 isn't it uh yeah i think so uh steve jerry Uh, i I almost watched it because it's in the imdb top 250 it's on um netflix isn't it yes i've seen it i've seen it's on netflix i haven't watched any of it or seen any of it or even thought about watching it (laughs) <laughs> Great. Well, then you can watch it and come back and, and talk to me. It is quite funny. It is quite sad. It's um, just a, a brilliant claymation stop motion film. Um, is that Seymour Hoffman in it? It's, yeah, that's it. Philip Seymour yeah. Hoffman voices in it. Yeah, it's brilliant. I really uh, hope you guys enjoy it. So I'm looking forward to dis- discussing that with you. Well, it's just, that's just very good of you. Just out of interest, I was looking to punish the rest of you with the film I chose. Um, <laughs> James and Jerry, what were you going to do? A, a, a punishment kind of film or like a, an enjoyable kind of one like Owen's gone for? If you Mine was won. both. 
Because <laughs> I, I genuinely think old, I was going to choose Old Boy, and I genuinely think it is a work of genius. But at the same time, it is not an easy watch by any stretch of the imagination. It's recorded, right? And the, the information on it is just amazing. It says, like, caution, scenes of violence, like drugs, sex, and live octopus ingestion. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it is a bit of a head fuck. Um, it, it's, it, oh, it's just such a brilliant film, though. So, Can I yeah, just I, say, I do watch it. avoid reading absolutely anything yeah, about it because I have yeah I, I've had this I watched a film that's got a similar sort of twist in it a similar sort of um plot mm. and someone had said oh this is really similar to old boy uh, so well, I kind of knew what was gonna happen and that it, it didn't ruin the film for me I did enjoy the film it lessens the impact it though. lessens the impact so just avoid reading about it and just okay. watch it I'll be just Steve I would have chosen uh, a Spanish film, which I suppose would be a punishment for you because you fucking hate reading anything while you're drinking. <laughs> but for the rest of them, it would have just been a nice, interesting film to watch, but not for you. <laughs> <laughs> if I ever get the chance again, you're all watching Run for Run for Your Wife. <laughs> uh, right, so we best do what we've been watching um, in the last, I suppose, fortnight now, isn't it? Yeah. Um, which, like I said, for Owen, is every film ever, by all accounts. Um, uh, 15 this week. <laughs> where, do you want, where do you want to start, then, Owen? Are you asking me, or shall I? Okay, I'll yeah, start. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll talk about two new releases. Um, first one is, uh, I only saw it yesterday, actually. I was really tired after, sort of, we did a lot of work in the garden, so I was a bit knackered, and I just wanted something quite easy to watch. We went oh, to the you cinema. even work with your hands. You even find time do to do gardening. Oh, Jesus yeah. Christ. <laughs> so, <laughs> we went to see um, Hansel and Gretel, the new film by uh, Tommy Workola. It was actually pretty good. Pretty what? good as in it's not a bad <laughs> film. It's by the guy who did um, Dead Snow. I did not expect that before. Okay. Uh, I didn't recognise that it was the same guy until I sort of came out of the cinema and was checking it on IMDb and thought, oh, my God, that's that's him. But, um, yeah, it's one. it starts off with a really annoying sort of, it's a classic tale with a new twist. You know, all these films that are coming out at the minute, like you've got Jack the Giant Slayer, which goes, a classic tale like you've never seen before, and Oz, the Great and the Powerful, the land you know, the story you didn't, and all these really just tiresome, tedious taglines. But, um yeah, it was it was it was a bit ridiculous. It's, a, it's exactly what you expect this film to be. Um, it's got some mildly amusing bits. There's not really that many that you laugh out loud to, but you know it's quite sort of humorous as it as it goes. Um, yeah, I mean for some reason I thought the film was going to be a twelve. So when I found out that it was a fifteen, and you, when you're watching it, the amount of gore in the film took me by surprise a little bit. But you know, working out actually it's made by that guy who did Dead Snow, sort of fits and makes sense a little bit because he's really good with gore. He was brilliant with it in um, Dead Snow. But yeah, there is a, a hell of a lot of gore. There's a sort of showdown battle with the witches at the end of the film. That's not really a spoiler because it's, it's just advertised from the second the film's on. Um, and there's a bit with a troll in it who's... Um, I don't really... He probably bumps up the film to a 15 on his own, really. Uh, <laughs> but there's a, there's a lot of... sort. Of, well, there's not a lot. There's a bit of nudity and suggested sort of stuff in there. Um, but it's really, yeah, it's really the level of violence which came as a shock to me. I was expecting something like, you know, Brothers Grimm movie or The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, but it was like a level above that. But it's an entertaining film, kind of 
delivers what you expect it to and then adds a bit more. Um, it's like an extended episode of a TV program, really. Uh, the opening credits that, that sort of roll through the film kind of look like an opening credit sequence to a TV show. Um, <clears throat> and the way that it ends, kind of, it's got a self-contained story, but it leaves a bit open so that, oh, OK, so they could do a sequel if they were really up for it. I don't think there will be because it's not that kind of film, but it's kind of left open a little bit. Is it is it um, Jeremy Renner in this one? It's yeah, Jeremy Renner and I forget the lady's name. Gemma Arterton, uh, yeah. So they're, they're all right in it, you know. Considering they're supposed to be brother and sister and spend a lot of the film together, they actually end up spending quite a lot of it apart. So they don't really have much in the way of chemistry. A lot of their scenes are sort of separate, which is a bit odd. You kind of expect them to be on the screen together all the time, but they get separated and then yeah. But um, it's okay. It's I mean it's. It's entertaining for what it is. I wouldn't sort of go out of your way to watch it. I, I wouldn't watch it in 3D either. Don't bother paying the extra for the 3D. It is just way too blurry and adds absolutely nothing at all. But there are definitely worse films in the cinema to spend your money on at the moment. Um, which kind of leads me on to my next film, which is Arbitrage. Uh, the film directed by Nicholas Jarecki. I think it's his first film. It stars Richard Gere, um, Susan Sarandon, Tim Roth is in it. It's uh, a story about a hedge fund magnate who's desperate to complete the sale of his sort of trading empire. Makes an error, forces him to um, turn to someone unlikely for help. And, yeah, I mean, it's described by Robbie Collins, the sort of head film critic of The Telegraph, as gourmet junk cinema. It kind of sums it up quite nicely, I think. It's um, it's just, just a... It's got a feel of a generic thriller to it. There's not really anybody in the whole film who is likeable. They're all detestable, spoiled, privileged, entitled, horrible twats, basically. Um, but it's purposefully so. You, you're meant to dislike them. Um, so, you know, everyone in it is just completely morally bankrupt. Even the ones that you think, oh, these, these are going to be, this is going to be where actually someone does some good. And no, it's not. They're, they're all just horrible people. Um, but whether it's because it kind of trickles down from the top, it's kind of saying that not everyone, just the people in business and then everyone outside of the business are good. It's not. It's everyone. Everyone is corruptible. So, yeah, I mean, it, it didn't make it um, a very likable film. But it was good performances. Richard Gere was good. Tim Roth as the cop was probably the sort of saving grace for the film. He's a bit um, got a chip on his shoulder about rich people, but he does he does stuff that's not within the you know, the rules and just to get his man. Um, but it is a good performance. But yeah, of the two, if you had to go and see one or the other, oddly, I, I wouldn't predict this from before I watched either of them, but it would be Hansel and Gretel. It's just the more entertaining film. There's a lot of potential with Arbitrage and with Nicholas Jarecki. I think he could go on to make a good film, but this wasn't quite it. Okay. Yeah. Well, very quickly. I can't compete with Owen's volume. Literally the only film that I've watched this week um, is Twilight Breaking Door Part 1. Why? <laughs> oh, God. Not even I've seen that, Jerry. <laughs> uh, Have you seen the other ones, Jerry? I've seen the first two. Okay. Oh. Why? It was, <laughs> I, I would rather watch an animal eat its own shit. Genuinely, though, why did you watch it? Because I basically made my girlfriend watched too many films that she has absolutely no <laughs> desire to watch for a number of months and that she finally won i think i think it was revenge for uh you know making her watch it more as a light christmasy film 
so yeah, absolute shit. Avoid. Don't watch any of that. I know Commode tries to tell you that they're better than people think. No, they're not. They're fucking terrible. Don't watch them. <laughs> uh, anything else did you, did you watch? Uh, not that I can think of, no. No. I, I, probably watched, I probably watched quite a few things the week before when we didn't have a podcast and they escaped from my brain pretty quickly, so. Yes, I, um, I watched two films, um, that were just shit, for lack of a better word, this week. In the, in the fortnight we've been off, I watched two good films that I enjoyed, but I can't remember what they are now, it's been so long. Um, but I watched two shit films in the last week, which really have, you know, made me lose all hope of Hollywood really um, I'll start off with the, the briefest review which is a film called The Darkest Hour so it's The Darkest Hour is a film about um, two people um, I can't remember their brothers or friends I didn't really care uh, who go to Russia to try and sell their idea their concept to some kind of business and get screwed over but then they go on the piss in the nightclub because well what else are you going to do in Moscow really and then some aliens come down and try and take over the Earth for some reason that's left unclear. But they're not like typical aliens like you'd see in like Independence Day or even Mars Attacks. They're like made of energy or electric or something. I, they didn't really get explained. I don't really understand. But that makes them harder to kill. But you can you can see them coming if you carry some light bulbs around with you. It's rubbish. Don't don't even waste your time on it. I I did and you know I did it for you. Don't. <laughs> It was on Sky, it's on Sky, and it's on Sky Go, and it's just you know, a waste of your time. I think it's an hour and a half long, and that's too much. It doesn't make any sense. There's no decent acting performances in it. There's no good dialogue. There's no good action. There's no good effects. There's, there's nothing of any redeeming quality about the film whatsoever. It is just rubbish. Good. Is it actually Thanks. in Russian, Steve, or is it? Um, no, it's it's, it's like an a, it's, a, it's an American film. It's just set in Moscow, and it's rubbish. Like seriously, don't waste your time on it. Don't don't even be curious by me telling you how bad it is and thinking it can't be that bad. I'm going to go and watch it because it can't be as bad as you're making out. It is. Just please don't don't waste your time on it. And then maybe if we all stop wasting our time on films like this, people stop making them. Oh yes, totally agree with you. And on a similar film <laughs> theme, I watched Battleship. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why did you watch Twilight? You know, why do we do these things? Um, Battleship is so bad that Liam Neeson even wanted to cut short his appearance in it by just sort of fleetingly appearing every now and again. It is about um. Again, two brothers. This time they are brothers. I managed to work that much out. One of them is in the Navy. One of them's a bit of a useless shit, but then he joins the Navy. But instead of being a useless shit, he's like one of them kind of rebels, one of them rogues who's like, he play, he doesn't play by anyone else's rules but his own. He's a maverick. He's a maverick, exactly. Yeah. And he's also a tosser. Um, but then it's, <laughs> it's got, it's got every, and then some aliens turn up and try and take over the earth for, whatever reasons that I forget because I wasn't really that interested. Um, but it's got every single cliche of like a summer blockbuster film like um, Armageddon or like Independence Day. You've got like the you've got like the nerd who turns out to be really useful in the end. You've got like a somebody you've got like a group of people who you wouldn't expect like 
because they're disabled. They, you know, there's an ex-army guy who's lost both legs. He turned out to be a hero despite his disability. You've got just every single cliche from a big blockbuster action film you could want, and it's and it's shit. Like Armageddon was on telly on on Sat on Friday night. That's a perfect example of how to do a proper blockbuster action film. Yeah. This was, Battleship, yeah. Battleship's just rubbish. The characters are rubbish. I mean, Rihanna can't act, so why are you putting her in a film? Don't. Just find an actress. There's loads of, <laughs> there's loads of them about. There's <laughs> literally hundreds of them, isn't yeah. there? There's many down in, in yeah. Los Angeles. There's tons who are probably better than Rihanna at acting. Yeah. There's, you know, it's, it's worse than Skyline, and that was rubbish. It's better than The Darkest Hour, though. Um, Okay. I don't really know what else I can say about it. It's got it's got the foreign guy that you don't really trust at first, but then he does something really clever, and then you start trusting him, and he becomes your mate. That's in it. Okay. So yeah, cliche ridden by the same. It is. Yeah. It is, and it's rubbish. I don't know what Liam Neeson doing turning up in that. Um, James, what did you watch? Okay. Um, yeah. Basically, because I watched about 20 films in a week at Glasgow Films Festival, uh, I've watched one film this week. Because um, I've also been revising really hard because I'm going to be uh, I'm recording my appearance on Pointless, the BBC quiz show on Wednesday. So I've uh, I've been... Oh. Yeah, <laughs> just drop that in there. So um, when it is... Yeah, uh, it's going to be about two or three months away, I think. Um, okay. It's we're, we're the third day of filming for the new series, so I'll obviously let everyone know. Um, I, I hope yeah. I hope you fail on a film question. <laughs> that's just me. That, that, that's my one fear, actually. I, I, I can take just about going out on anything, um, but a film question would be just the worst, if, if the it, absolute worst. If a film question comes up, you've got to mention. The podcast. If a football, yeah, I, might, if, I might be able to drop. I can drop it in. I can easily drop it in and yeah. say, "Oh, I'm a failed critic," or so. Yeah, I can. I no, can drop do, it in do, just, just do it properly. Like if a football <laughs> question comes up, mention born offside. Just, 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 just say, just say, like, "Oh, I should really know this because I do a film podcast." And then Xander will go, "Oh yeah, what's that then?" And you'll tell him, and you'll, and it'll be on yeah. telly and everything. And do the same yeah. if you get a football one for born offside. Obviously, okay. yeah, don't worry, I will. <laughs> you got your instructions. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, so I've only watched one film this week, and I kind of we've got a bit of a theme here. The film I watched this week was Cars Two. Come on, someone ask me the question that everyone else has been asking. What's is it absolute toss? Like I why? Yeah, <laughs> basically why um, is my daughter is really really into Cars, the first film, which isn't a bad film. It's, it's it, a good film. Yeah, it gets a lot of flack, but I quite like it. It's basically Doc Hollywood with cars. It's it's got some nice performances and stuff like that. The second one, idiots. Oh, this is awesome. Yeah, I, I, I like cars. The second one is oh, it's utter utter drivel. I'm so angry. Um, I wasn't hugely angry. I was a bit. I was just disappointed that. It it turned out to be uh, uh, correct. Everyone had st- have any of you watched Cars two? No, no, no. And it's weird because it's a Pixar film, and, and we say, "Oh, there's a Pixar film coming out. We're all going to go and watch Monsters University." I'm sure, uh, but this one, everyone's like, "Oh God!" Because the first one um, didn't do brilliantly, uh, and this is the one they bring back for a sequel. They don't do sequels generally, apart from Toy Story. And apparently, John Laster, director, said that he'd only ever do sequels um 
if the story was right. And it kind of forgets the fact that Cars is their biggest merchandising cash cow worldwide. Uh, I think it makes them about eight billion pound a year or so. No, it's not. Oh, but they've made eight billion pound. Eight, the eight billion is correct. They've made made eight billion dollars uh, in Cars merchandising since the first film came out. So that's the reason Cars Two was made. And it, and it upsets me a little bit to think that Pixar. They, well, they have. They've become a big boy. They've become a big player. And now suddenly they make films based on how much they're going to make from the toys and that's really sad and you know what cars 2 really suffers for the fact that it was basically an advert for more of their merchandising it's got a weird kind of james bondy spy storyline uh where lightning mcqueen played by owen well voiced by owen wilson um is racing across the world in a number of races invited by uh, a car called sir miles axelrod uh, voiced by Eddie Izzard and he's developed some kind of alternative fuel and there's a whole big oil storyline going on Michael Caine plays a, a spy car called Finn Muck Missile um, and Michael Caine's good value as a voice um, but what really surprised me was how much violence there is in this film there, there, there are cars dying it, it is like a Bond film but with cars instead of people and I was thinking this, this isn't aimed at children this is weird um the plot makes no sense it's actually really difficult to follow at points and then just relies on complete ludicrous and what annoys me is the original cars is in a very realistic world and universe whereas in this film oh all of a sudden one car has wings because they're a spy so they and you've got cars flying um, cars with hologramic disguises and stuff like that, and it just completely tears up anything that was good about the first film, which is about a small town. Um, and it, it's just, if you're going to make a big, epic spy, don't do it with the characters from that first film, because that that worked for a particular reason. That was about a big city boy going to a small town. It was, yeah, you know, it was a very... It was it was a common story, but it was a nicely done story. This is just utter drivel. A really really bad film. Um, and interestingly, it is the only Pixar film never to be nominated for Oscar Best Animated Film, and and with good reason. Uh, uh, it's just it's just a bad. It didn't win a single Oscar uh, in terms of any technical award or anything like that. Uh, and again, the only Pixar film ever to do that because it's bad. It's it's a straight to video you know mcdonald's happy meal of a film it's not nice at all so i watched it as a kind of pixar completist um you might want to watch it for that there's a few good sequences but as a film it's it does not hold together well at all um i particularly liked your use of the word hologramic there and just think it's good that you're going on pointless rather than countdown Did I say hologramic? That's you did, terrible. Yes, That's not, a fucking yeah. embarrassment, isn't it? Uh, right, so now we're on to Triple Bill that we've not done for a little while. Um, oh. And James, what is it? Okay, so Triple Bill this week is simply our, our favourite car, car chase scenes car uh, from films. <coughs> or ve- vehicular chases. Uh, we'll, we'll... There we go. There needs to be a vehicle, there needs to be a chase. Preferably two vehicles at least. Okay. That's it. That's well, all it is. So it's, it's our film. And what we will do is we'll try and get um, YouTube links for all the car chases up to put on the blog so people can actually see them uh, after we after listening or before listening, before um, if they've not seen them all. 
and I'm sure there's going to be crossover on this one. So, who wants to start? Hands up. I don't mind going first. I see you just couldn't see it. No. <laughs> Go on then, Owen. Okay. Um, the first one I picked was, it, I mean, the whole film's really a kind of car chase in a way. Picked The Jewel, a Spielberg film from 1971. I actually picked it from my Decade in Film article on the website. Um, it's basically, the film itself is just about a man being driven um, to, to near the brink of collapse by fear and paranoia as he's sort of chased across an American highway by a truck. Just for no apparent reason, he can't sort of figure out why he's doing it or what, you know, what's driving this guy to, to try and run him off the road with this truck. The bit, the bit that I really like in the film is as the film comes to sort of a climax, there's a, just one last chase scene where he thinks he's get, getting away with it. Dennis Weaver is sort of driving the car, thinks he's getting away with it, but he's just sort of being pushed a little bit too far. And it just, I won't say, say exactly what happens in the end, but it kind of drives him over the edge, shall we say. Oh, yeah. That's not too canny of anyway um <laughs> but it's yeah no for, it's a fairly low budget film i think it was made for tv originally um but the whole film is great particularly that sort of that chase i just think that that last bit is just fantastic just everything about it is brilliant yes top film top film yeah second film i'm going for is um well i didn't see it until recently actually it's um the uh quinton tarantino film death proof okay um, there's a couple of car chases in that, and there's a few of them, actually. But the, the one I'm talking about is, again, the last car chase in the film. It's the final chase. The tables have kind of been turned on um, Kurt Russell's character. He's sort of bleeding, crying, a bit hysterical. And he's being chased down by some stunt girls who he previously chased earlier on in the film. I mean, the whole film's got moments of these awesome scenes mixed in with a lot of tedious, boring choice, but it's just after this kind of penultimate car chase, really, when um, Zoe Bell's on the bonnet of a car, that's pretty cool, she's been sort of chased and almost run off the road with um, by, by uh, Kurt Russell's character, but it's the high-speed chase that after the end, that's after that bit, which is just my favourite of the whole film, I mean, it's a proper thrill ride, it's what you want from a, a film with a car chase in it, when you, you you know the premise of the film it's stunt driver chasing some girls off the road this is the scene you wanted it isn't some girls chatting rubbish in a car on the way to a holiday or whatever they're doing it's two people one in one car one in the other trying to sort of kill each other with their cars and yeah it's just pretty great um and my final film which i i don't know whether it uh, will get any crossover I, I, I probably won't but uh, you know i really like it it's the opening scenes um, to the film The Transporter with Jason Statham. So sitting in his little BMW, reading the rules to the guys in the back of the car who've just robbed the bank, um, kind of sets the film up quite nicely anyway. But it's that little chase through the tidy side streets of, of France. I think they're in Nice. Um, and he's sort of pursued by the cops. And it's just, it's just brilliant. It's all choreographed so brilliantly. And it's just so slick. I mean, I'm not really... I'm not generally that kind of person who watches films for the car chases and just you know nothing against that you know some people enjoy different things to other people it's not really one of the things i like watching a film for um but it was the first one that sort of came to my mind when i was trying to draw up this list of films and it's maybe not the kind of pulsating heart pounding high speed chase like you get in i don't know in uh, jack reacher or uh, lawless but it's still great nonetheless i think it kind of reminds me more of like a jackie chan fight scene you know how it's kind of mm. it makes use of everything on the set everything is integral to what's happening with 
this, this car chase rather than being just a bog standard chase through some busy streets. So I think because of the way it uses every, it uses the environment, um, it's probably my favourite of the three. And in, I mean, the film itself's got a few flaws. I'm not denying that, but that first eight to ten minutes just are oh, one of them. So that's that's my final final choice. Nice. I'm sorry, there was one I thought you were going to put in there that you haven't, and I'll, we'll, we'll chat yeah. about that afterwards. We'll see. We'll, Steve... see, we'll see if anyone else has gone for it. But... Steve put me off that one on the forum. When we were going under the car chase rules, I was technically right. <laughs> <laughs> now, we've cha- now we've changed the rules, you could have had it, but you know, yeah, now we've moved the goalposts. <laughs> but I was originally in the right. Um... Right, James, do you want to go next? Okay, yeah. Um, I've gone for uh, a couple of classics, um, which may or may not show up, but they're definite classics. Uh, um, but I'm going to start off with, uh, I was talking about Cars 2. It's not one from Cars, but it is It is a Pixar one. Um, it's the car chase at the end of Toy Story. Um, I, I love this. And it, it's, a, it's a car uh, and a removable truck I, being chased by a radio-controlled car. I went, I went with that as well. but it's a great bit of um it's a great bit of cinema and also because toy story was one of the first films that looked like this and it really showed off the the visual the side of toy story but it's full of humor you've got a dog chasing um there's a lovely little in joke as um as they pull out uh they've been they've got slinky dog connecting the uh the radio control car and the the removal truck. Basically, the idea is that um, Buzz and Woody are trying to get back into the removal's truck, which is left without them. Um, and halfway through getting back in there, the toys have chucked Woody overboard because they think he's coming to kill them all because they think he's killed Buzz, um, which is which is a brilliant bit of uh, the film as well. And then when the car chasing it kind of is in the the wing mirror, and there's a little bit of a uh, Hakuna Matata playing in the film. Yeah. That's a lovely little self-referential. It's just, it's great, and um, it ends with a fantastic. It ends with fireworks and flying, and it's not uh, flying. Lovely, it's not flying. A lovely nine as well. It's not flying. Um, it's falling with style. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, <laughs> we're not aiming for the truck. Oh, it's beautiful. Probably made me cry the first time I saw it. Um, no surprises. And, yeah, <laughs> and it's it's just a wonderful, wonderful uh, film, and. That was actually one of the car chases that came to mind for me, uh, uh, and and obviously Steve agreed with me. No, that's that's good to see. Uh, not often we agree on anything, is it, Steve? But um, no. we've got that in it. My my second one, I was really torn here because there are two brilliant chases in this film. Um, it's the Blues Brothers, uh, the original, not the two thousand nonsense. There is a great chase scene where they're going around. Uh, a mall, uh, which was actually the filming, it was, it was scheduled for demolition. They restocked a shopping mall and basically just drove cars through it. It is, if you've not seen it, just search Blues Brothers Car Chase on, on YouTube. Uh, in fact, if you've not seen it, just watch Blues Brothers, for God's sake. I bloody love that film. Um, but it's uh, Jake and Elmore are just driving through a, a shopping centre and police cars are just crashing through windows. And it, what I love about this one is it it's ridiculous. Um, and then later on in the film, you get an even more ridiculous car chase. And what I do love about this car chase is it is uh, it knows how ridiculous it is, and it just ramps it up. And you at the towards the end of it, they're chasing 
through the streets. I think it's Chicago. There's an elevated uh, train there, which actually is a homage to what's going to be my number one choice. Um, but they're, they're crashing through everything. And it's like Owen says, I'm not a huge, huge car chase. I wouldn't watch a film because someone said, oh, there's a load of great car chases in it. Um, but I sat and watched this film and thought, no one's going to do a funnier car chase than this film. It is the funniest car chase I've ever seen. And right at the end, you've got like this, just this wall of upside down police cars, which would have been impossible to, to make for, for it to have happened. But it's there. It's, it's a lovely joke. So Blues Brothers, there's a load of great car chases in that. And that's, uh, that's my second favorite. My favorite one, um, is the French Connection. Um, has anyone seen the French Connection? No. No, unfortunately. Uh, no. Jerry. Oh, see, that could, right, that's going to be my new, if we have a challenge, I'm going to make The French Connection, uh, Gene Hackman won his first ever Oscar uh, for playing Lieutenant, Lieutenant Popeye Door. That is this incredible scene. It's directed by William Friedkin, who uh, also directed The Exorcist in the 70s. It's a brilliant, hard-boiled 70s cop thriller, basically. It's about drugs uh, in Chicago. Um and there is this scene where the drug, the drug dealers have hijacked the the L train, the elevated train. So it's like a it's like a tube train, but it goes above the city. Um, and Popeye jump. They've hijacked that, and they've got a gun on the driver, and they're trying to get away. And Popeye hasn't got time to get to the train, so he jumps into. He basically gets a car. The classic um, movie cop thing just uh, takes a car from a. Passing driver gets them out and he chases it through the streets. So the train has got its own track above the city and he's following it along the streets. The great thing about this, it's about six minutes long. Um, just for now, just watch the watch the uh, chase itself. Watch it and then realise that William Freaking didn't get permission from the city to film it. This car chase was filmed in real traffic, and then you think. Jesus Christ, how did no one die? It's ridiculous. Wouldn't have got away with it these days, obviously, you know, health is... But watching it, you think, actually, these are real drivers who are getting out of the way of a car. And that is the scariest thing about this. Um, I'm pretty sure people would have gone to prison. He says, um, I heard uh, what happened was, basically, because the L train is also part of this, they, uh, they they needed a driver to drive an L train uh, and clear a bit of track. And it was, it was a bit more than a driver. It was someone high up in the transport authority in Chicago. And he said to them, I'm going to need, I can't remember the exact amount of uh, money, but like half a million dollars, I'm going to need half a million dollars. Because once I do this, I'm going to be sacked. And they paid him. So uh, the train, that they didn't get permission from Chicago transport. Um, they didn't get permission to film. And this went on to win Oscars. Uh, and it's just... It's just a reminder of how kind of old school and rock and roll some of Hollywood used to be. William Friedkin is, a, I think he used to take a gun on set with him and stuff like that. He's an absolute lunatic, but he's a genius director and it's just such an incredible car chase. And that's, that's my favourite one ever. There we go. Cool. Good, good list, if anything. Thank you. Pleasure. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, onto my list. We've already heard one of mine, Toy Story. James has talked about that. Second one is Back to the Future. And you're thinking, where's the car chase in this, some of you? Well, it's when you start off in the diner, um, back in 1955, is it, they're in? It's 1950-something. And um, Biff comes in, and he starts threatening 
Marty's dad, who's obviously not his dad yet because it's in the past, and then he gets into a, a altercation with with Marty McFly, who goes speeds off on a skateboard. He nicks off some kid um, and gets chased by Biff and his friends in the car. I think everyone knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, that's a great choice, Steve. And also, um, not strictly speaking within the original rules, but you're fine. There. There's a, there's, <laughs> I was just thinking that. There's, think a, a, minute. there's a car. <laughs> there's a car, and it's chasing. <laughs> I think I'm right. <laughs> cracking choice though. Um, yeah. and, and like all good, like all good, um, like car chases, it's got it's got a, a punchline and end point. It, you know, the, the viewer gets some satisfaction at the end of it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, um, and my other choice, the choice that rounds off my trio, is of course the Italian Job, one of the most iconic films involving cars, I'd say, ever. Um, mm-hmm. with, original, I'm yeah, assuming. Yes, the original, not the <laughs> god awful remake with Jason Statham and. Um, who else was it? Mark, Marky Mark was in it, wasn't he? Norton, um, yeah. But yeah. no, I'm I'm talking about the original with Michael Caine, and they're they're driving the minis through Turin and through the tunnels and through the football stadium, and then you're ending up in the bus hanging over the cliff with the with the immortal line that I won't repeat because I'll just lessen it. Yeah, <laughs> but you can you can say uh, it, it's got so many great lines. Piazza Charlie. Yeah, uh, I haven't seen it for years, uh, but I bloody love the Italian. There's a great bit near the beginning where he says that um, he used to shoot tigers. Uh, Michael Caine is fantastic in the Italian job. I think it's one of his best ever performances because he is the he is just he's so cool, um, but at the same time he's funny and he's trying to keep a handle on all these idiots that he's having to do this job with. It, it's a brilliant, brilliant did he Did he not hire these idiots, or did he have them thrust upon him? I can't remember. He kind of had them thrust upon him, because uh, Mr. Bridge is basically running the operation from in prison. Played by Noel Coward. It, oh, it's such a great film. And Benny Hill's in it. As well. I, I, yeah. meant, I love that film, though. So, yes, that's my three. Now on to, uh, on to Jerry's three. Okay. Um, first one, I, I, I'm not going to lie. These are sort of vehicular car chases. <laughs> um, first one is The Dark Knight. The scene okay. with yeah. the lorries and the Batmobile, etc. Um, and, you know, there's there's bazookas involved, which is always a bonus for me. <laughs> um, and, of course, there is the sort of iconic scene where they managed to flip the big 18-wheeler up off the ground. Yeah. Which is just, whoa. I remember seeing that and just being like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. And just sitting there, wide-eyed, open mouth. Great chase scene. Uh, one of my favourite films. So it had to be in there, really, because I think as a sort of technical achievement, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. And a great payoff again. Uh, it, the, the best, I think the best car chase scenes are ones that actually move the story along. Uh, and in The Dark Knight, it isn't just, right, let's have a car chase. It's, it's a pivotal moment in the story, isn't it? Yeah, um, and you get device. you get a twist in there. You actually and you actually care about the characters, and I think that's really important. Indeed. On the other end of the scale, this is one that um, Owen might have seen. It, actually, I was about to say Mel's probably seen this, but Owen's probably seen it. It's a film from the eighties called The Hidden. Anybody heard of it? No, no. No, actually. No, my, my TiVo thought I'd recorded it the other day, but I'd actually recorded Michael Haneke's Hidden 
stroke cachet, but the um the the info with it was a film from 1987, like an American film. So I'm assuming that's the actual film. Yeah, basically, there's like um, an alien inhabits the body of an F- a dead FBI agent and like goes on a bit of a rampage. Basically, yeah, that's it. That's what it just got. And I thought, hang on, that's not a Michael Hacker film. Yes, yeah, good. I'm glad we're on the same page here. Bloody amazing. Basically, the opening scene is just absolute sheer carnage. It's a bank robber. It starts, and it's literally the opening scene of the film uh, over the credits, and a bank robber walks out of the bank, uh, gets in a Ferrari, and uh, basically they take every single cliche in the history of car chases and turn them up to 11 and then just take the piss of it. And the, all, the entire time, there's like some classic 80s metal playing in, on his stereo. So every time you're in the car, he's got like some real shredding, like, 80s metal like Pantera or something. I can't remember what it is exactly like Slayer or something and it's just like they do like all sorts of stupid stuff like you know like, he, he hits the pedestrians instead of them like dashing out of the way and he goes through the guy two guys carrying a pane of glass he goes through the glass and like smashes through it and, and things like that it's just, uh, and runs them over and I, at one point he, he runs over a guy in a wheelchair <laughs> <laughs> Because you know, so, you know the, tra- the trademark. Oh, someone being pushed on in a wheelchair. Oh, I'll scream! And then he just swerves out. Like, no, he just passed through them. <laughs> but it's just the most ridiculous car chase ever. You have to watch it out once you get the YouTube video up for for this. Just give it a watch. It's absolutely superb, and it's it's just so enjoyable. It's like they're just having such a good time making the car. They were like, right, what what do we love about car chases? Let's just do everything that we really really enjoy. It's <laughs> amazing. <laughs> And it even features a massive explosion, which is obviously what you need at the end of a great chase. Uh, the third one, again, not really a vehicular chase. It's a vehicular chase rather than a car chase. It's Terminator 2. I can't believe no one said Yeah, yeah that was the one I, went, I thought I was going to say. I was going to pick that, and then Steve complained that there were no cars in it. Because it was originally so- car chases, and I, it, that was the basis. I was quite right. There's not a single car in it. <laughs> And then he picks this one with a skateboard. They smash it into cars. The Terminator smashes into cars in his truck. Is this the one that's soundtracked by um, uh, You Could Be Mine by Guns N' Roses as well? I can't remember. I think it is. It's a great scene. I've not seen Terminator 2 in bloody years. The Blu-ray is really worthwhile. I've got got the Blu-ray at home. Cool. I'll, I'll give that a watch then. Um, yeah, classic scene. If you haven't seen it, it uh, involves like a dirt bike, um, the, 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 the bad Terminator, whose designation I can't remember at this point, uh, is chasing young Connor anyway. And he's, he's having a bit of a, a mad dash away from him on his little dirt bike. It's, if you ever played Streets of Rage, it's like as 80s as that, basically. <laughs> um, and then there's like an 18 wheeler and then Arnie turns up on his Harley and he has this shotgun that he can do with one arm. And yeah. It's ridiculously cool. It's just the best chase scene ever. It's amazing. And it features, even though you think it's ended, I'm not, I don't think I'm spoiling anything here. Mm-hmm. If you haven't seen Terminator 2, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, it ends and you think it's all over and then he just, he's melted and then comes back together. So, yeah. one of the best. Yeah, is that the reveal of his thing then, is it? Is that, I can't is that well, you find the, out? Yeah. The reveal of it, but it's definitely sort of, it's one of the best, it's so pioneering, one of the best special effects ever. Yeah in films it, it was just brilliant and the whole the whole chase is brilliant that like, sort of iconic thing down the LA sub, like sewer system you know it, it's fantastic it's just- Terminator 2 is the moment when Cameron James Cameron was at the peak of 
um, great story and great effects. Okay, he, he went over the hill from that point and started focusing far too much on technology and kind of forgot that Terminator 2 is great because of its story and its effects, and you c- you can't have one without the other. True. Yeah, good. Preaching to converted there, but still, <laughs> one should be made. Uh, well, I think that's that's all for, for this week's podcast. Um, so, James, what's up next week? Do you know what? I, I, I knew you were going to ask me that, and I've just started typing into the... Should, uh, I, should I tell you? I know yeah, thanks. Thank you. It's our uh, Corridor of Praise. Oh, yes, it is, isn't it? Who have we got? I've forgotten. Is it Sigourney Weaver? No, no. Oh, it's okay. uh, one I'm really looking forward oh, to. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it, yeah. No, that's... It's... Yeah. We've got... No, we can say it, yeah. Uh, can we say it? Yeah, Kubrick, yes. Um, yeah, so next week is Corridor Praise Stank. We talk about the films. Obviously, it means I better watch the last few ones that I've not seen of Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, I found that Paths of Glory is on Mexican Netflix, so I'm going to be watching that this week. <laughs> Mexican Netflix for crap. <laughs> <laughs> the only place it's on. I think I also still need to watch Lolita as well, and then I think I'm almost there. But Lolita's a weird film. Yeah. Anyway. Um, what, yeah. what's on the website as well what can people find there okay so people can find on the website there is all just a reminder again that all, all our glasgow film festival coverage is up on the website there's uh, a new um 100 greatest episodes uh of tv piece there's another one coming up of that this week hopefully this week we will get owen's 1972 piece at some point owen mm-hmm Yep. Yeah, that's good. Just check out. I wasn't like kind of hurrying you along there. I was just checking that that was okay. Yeah, uh, I had the deliverance delivered in the post, so I really it. wanted to watch that before I wrote the rest cool. of my... Uh, there is, um, there's a few other coming from me as well on, on car chases. Keanu that's it, car yes. Chases. Yeah, um, and also, well, we'll see. Steve's, Steve's got a new idea. Steve, um, Steve, and I really like it. Steve's got an idea that's been well received by everyone who's heard the idea, so it's just the cynical Jerry McCauley who's left to hear it and pass his opinion on the idea but there is a list of films that are considered considered the biggest box office failures of all time in terms of losses that they've made the studio the biggest flops of uh, movie history and I'm going to go through as many of them as possible and see if it's justified that they're such a big flop um, I'm going to start off hopefully if I can find a copy of 1995's Cutthroat Island, starring Gina Davis, Matthew Modine, and Oscar-winning Frank Langella. Mm. Um, it's met, it cost $115 million to make. It lost $96.5 million. Ouch. And I am going to tell you if it really deserved to lose that much money. Um, it's, a pi- <laughs> it's a pirate film, so... And apparently it set all pirate films back until Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. <laughs> There's a few... Did that ask as many as, as much as Sahara? Um, Sahara is Sahara's really high up. That's Sahara, the fourth worst. Sahara lost yeah. is, yeah, fourth on the list. If you're going... If you would, if you adjust the inflation to today's yeah. level, then Sahara is fourth on the list. The Adventures of Pluto Nash is third, but I won't be watching that. I just, <laughs> I just know that that'll be terrible. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. It's Eddie, it's Eddie Murphy. It's, it's yeah. An Eddie, comedy. Yeah, it's Eddie Murphy when he went all like kid friendly and did loads of PG space films. comedy. No, this that was him coming back to try and do something a bit more adult. Was it? And that's why it flopped. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was. He'd done like uh, uh, the, the fat guy in a suit. 
stuff. I can't remember his name now. Um, but he's done a load of those kind of, oh, Dr. Doolittle. Um, Adventures of Pluto Nash is actually meant to be a bit more adult in nature. Um, yeah, not good though, apparently. Not good at all. Um, so there's a the few films good ones. on that. Yeah, some of the films on that list, though, some of them have made a lot of money. I mean, like Green Lantern's on there. It's made 290 million. Yeah. Just, I mean, the budget was incredibly high, but, and you know. The, and the marketing was high as well. Uh, that, I think that's, that's the other what thing. What was the budget on the Green Lantern? Green Lantern had a 325 million pound budget, or dollar budget, rather. Uh, but that does include marketing as well. Oh, yeah. It's on a bank. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, there's some, there's some interesting films on this list. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing Hudson Hawk's on there. I think Hudson Hawk is sadly maligned. I, I like Hudson Hawk. What was that one that Owen watched not long ago? The sort of Speed uh, Racer. That's the one. Speed Racer's really high on there. Speed Racer. See, that nearly made 100 million as well. That yeah. nearly made 100 million from 30 crows. So I don't know how much of a flop these really are. Although it's still lost 100 million. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but you know, when you take into production plus marketing, the ones, the, the ones at the top are definite flops. If if yeah. they're, you yes. know, if you're if you're costing 115 million yeah. to make and you're only <laughs> ma- and you're only making 18 and a half million, yeah, yeah. then then you fucked up somewhere. Yes, I think that's fair enough. Um, and uh, John Carter of Mars is on there, and that's made nearly 300, 400 million, but that cost a ridiculous amount to uh, to put together. So. Yeah, it's got, uh, I'm looking Steve, I've just realised you're going to have to watch that shit film with Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez in it. Giggly, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> that's, that's at that's least, be up, that's on, that's on the list, but it, it's, it's sort of about 20th. So, yeah. it's going to take really? me a while to get there. Jeez, next, yeah, it only cost 74 yeah. million. It yeah. only cost 74 million to get out there, but it only made 7.2 million we in should, box office. If, if I could, if I could be bothered, I'd, I'd work out kind of like a, a, a percentage of loss rather than, might be interesting, rather, yeah. rather than actual money, like a percentage loss, so I could work out which was the worst film of all of them. Because obviously, yeah. obviously a film like Gigi is going to cost less to make than Cutthroat Island because there's mm. no pirates and shit in, in that Ben Affleck film. I don't know, there might be. Maybe that's why it's so fucking terrible. That's, what, that's um, all I've heard. But... Anyway, that's, that's what I've got in mind and I would endeavour to do. Um, Yes, yeah, so that's it for this week. Thanks to everyone who joined us. Thanks to everyone who listened, and thanks to um, Kevin McLeod from that website. Incompetech.com. On. See, in- that's yeah. that's exactly how I ended the last yeah. uh, podcast in yeah. in that little outtake at the end. It's yeah, difficult. In- Your job's difficult, Steve. I've got a newfound respect for the work you do on this podcast. <laughs> no one Steve, else does. Is, is the Triple X sequel on there? Um, no, it isn't. Actually. No. Yes, it is. Stay in the is, union. Yeah. yeah. Although well, only lost nice forty million. Yeah. Only. Only. Yeah. I know. But um, I went to see the original Triple X. I can't remember if I went to see that or not. But I, I remember seeing it at some point and being one of the worst films I've ever seen in my life. Well, the original Triple X. 